Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to 200 in fee-free overdraft with the Chime checking account. Sign up today at Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. These are the best posts from r slash Nuclear Revenge of 2023. Starting with the most upvoted story of the year. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Mine has been calling for 10 years and counting. I am a 40-year-old woman, and I've been married to my husband, who is 44, for 20 years now. We have two kids, a 16-year-old girl and a 13-year-old boy. My husband is what I would consider a high earner by middle-class standards. Also, strapping folks, this is going to be long. I've never told anyone, so here we go. 10 years ago, and by complete coincidence, I found out that my husband has been cheating on me with men from before we got married. We live in a smallish town in the south of the USA. Him coming out as gay will have consequences. I believe that that is the only reason he's not come out to anyone. First, here's how I found out he was cheating on me. He got sloppy. He left a credit card bill for a secret card in the pocket of a coat. While going through it, I found all the telltale signs of infidelity. Payments to a hotel in a nearby county, restaurant bills, gifts, flowers, condoms and lubricant, etc. I started camping outside the hotel on days he told me he'd be late, and I saw him bringing different men there. I am very good at compartmentalization and have a great poker face. It comes with growing up in an abusive household. So I was able to give myself the time to cool off and to come up with what I should do. First thing I did was getting an STD panel, since I didn't know how safe he was with his partners. It came out negative. Then I convinced him that we should use condoms, since I was having side effects from the pill. He was okay with it. I had a long think, and I came up with a decision that I was not going to confront him, nor was I going to leave him. He was able to provide me a really good lifestyle, one that I would never be able to afford with my high school diploma. That was a cleaning lady, a nanny to help with the kids, regular spa days and a country club, a new car every other year, luxury family vacations every year. He was a good dad, a good partner, cheating aside, and really good in bed. But I was not going to let him have a single guilt-free week in his life. That would be my revenge. I started small, planning great date nights for us, telling him that I felt our relationship has cooled, that I wanted the spark back. Then I'd sometimes slip into conversation some tea about a cheating husband, a gasp gay man that's been using his poor wife as a beard, complimenting the only gay couple we know for having the courage of being real men who were out and proud of themselves. On the other hand, I'd praise him as the perfect husband to anyone and everyone, especially if he was in earshots. The amount of guilt gifts I got was astounding. The man was even sending me flowers weekly. It continued the same way for years. I could literally see how much it was weighing on him. Me? Well, my parents were part of a commune with the concept of free love, and I was the same. I just considered myself in an open marriage. It seems that cheating is easy to ignore if you're not that big on monogamy in the first place. And my husband was keeping me satisfied, so I felt no need to find a partner of my own. Then, four years ago, I guess he met the love of his life. He started seeing just the one guy. I was seriously thinking of ending the whole thing, especially since I'd started a business by then and was able to bring in enough money to support myself and my kids while maintaining my lifestyle. But then he went and introduced his side piece to us. What? Wow. He freaking brought him into our house, introduced him to our kids, and that was enough for me to keep tormenting him. Apparently, he was a new friend he made while golfing. 
Oh my gosh, the audacity of that man. He started hinting at moving to another state, one where it would be easier for him to come out. I refused. I told him that my business was here and I was not going to start over in another state. Also, the kids had their friends and extended family here. It would be unfair to uproot them. Then he started trying to start arguments. I guess he wanted us to fight, then for me to ask for a divorce. I just stopped all those arguments in their tracks. I just agree with whatever he said. He was right, I was wrong. And to make it up to him, how about a nice dinner and some great sex? He hated that. I knew from spying on his phone that having sex with me felt like cheating on his boyfriend. The audacity of this man. Wow, that's OP saying that, not me this time. I also knew that his boyfriend was pressuring him to leave me almost every day. He was stuck between a rock and a hard place. He started drinking and when it got too heavy, that was when I decided that enough was enough. I wanted to ruin his life, not his health. Also, I grew up with an alcoholic father and I did not want that for my kids. So I gathered all the evidence of his infidelity over the last nine years. Photos with different men, conversations, his grinder profile, even though he no longer had one, everything. Then I hired a divorce attorney and mailed the evidence to his employer. He has a morality clause in his contract and adultery breaks it. All his relatives, including parents, as well as our church, his actually, I was never big on religion like him. It was like a bomb exploded. He was fired. The congregation turned on him for cheating, not for being gay. Let's keep that straight. I'd never allow my kids to be part of a church that discriminated against their father, even if he wasn't out. His parents wouldn't take him in after I kicked him out and he was shamed publicly. Gotta love that small town gossip mill. And the cherry on top? His boyfriend was run out of the town and he couldn't follow him because he wanted to fight for custody of our kids. Now, almost a year later, I am a free woman. I got to keep the house, my car, and my business. He got 75% of the retirement and investment accounts, but he won't be paying alimony. I got full custody, he got visitations. I also got child support. He had to move six hours away to find a new job. Couldn't put the last job he worked at his whole life as a reference. His relationship with his family is rocky. His reputation in town is ruined, so he can't move back anytime soon. The love of his life left him for good, and my kids only tolerate him because I did my best to shield them and to tell them that he is still a good father to them. I also made sure to treat him politely. I never talked badly about him and had a lengthy talk about how their father being gay is okay. It's who he is and that it was not his fault. That the only wrong thing he did was hiding it from me. So I guess the results of his cheating was years of guilt followed by a ruined life. And interestingly, before I even get into my thoughts, I just want to read out this edit that OP has put at the bottom of the post. Let's make something clear. I am not the good person in this story. We were both bad. I'm not here trying to get pats on the back or to be told that I did well. I know what I did was messed up. I'm here because I wanted to tell someone and I can't do that in real life. And there we go. I think it's worth remembering throughout all of this that yes, as OP says, we, the reader, are the only ones that really know that OP knew about this the entire time. If you're coming from the perspective of her now ex-husband, yeah, she's got those old screenshots, the grinder profile that was deleted a while ago, but she easily could have just found that in the past few months. From his perspective, it looks as if she had no idea the entire time. He probably thought he was getting away with it. I mean, I'm sure he did. And yeah, as OP says, a bomb exploded, but he probably and everyone else probably thought that she just found out in the past few weeks and months. There's no way that people would ever have thought that you'd known for 10 years 
and kept it, I guess, a secret in your own head for a decade. Now, interestingly, I wanted to read out that edit because Opie is right. They're not the good person. But I don't think you're necessarily bad, right? Like, what are you inferring there? That you should have confronted him when you found out or that you should have divorced him? It's your choice. You're not the one that's doing anything that's wrong. I mean, like, I don't really know that you're necessarily bad there. Yeah, fair enough. You didn't do well out of the situation, but I don't think you can say that you were in the wrong. You had a good life. You wanted to maintain that. You loved your kids. You didn't mind the fact that this was going on. I mean, it wasn't enough to leave this man clearly right away. And there you go. You left him when you wanted to after 10 years which is crazy. I will say though, it is nice that you said that you weren't the good guy in this because yeah, let's be honest, it is a bit shady, whatever you did here, not outing the situation, but still good stuff from you. Okay then, let's move on to our second nuclear revenge story now. And this is where things get a little bit more serious. Guys, if you are listening to this and not watching on YouTube, just a word of warning, I'm gonna have to change quite a few of the words here and there's gonna be a lot of censoring, but here we go. Try to publicly mess with my relationship and lie about illegally touching me. Congrats on your relapse. First of all, some background. I grew up with a big group of family and friends. Our summer houses were all near each other. We all went to the same schools, call each other's parents, aunt and uncle, etc. My brother and I though, always felt we were slightly left out. Outsiders, black sheep, if you will. One of the girls, Claire, assaulted me twice when we were kids. I was eight or nine years old. Once at a sleepover and once at our summer home. I didn't dare bring it up because it would absolutely blow up our little community. And because of that outsider dynamic, everyone would absolutely choose their side. This was before her dad died. But after that, you can also imagine how much sympathy her family garnered. So I ignored it. I never forgot it, but I only told friends completely separate from our community when I was older. I also sort of pushed it aside until the past few years when my therapist finally got me to realize that all because she's only two years older than me doesn't mean that what she did was okay. A few years ago, she randomly got really cold towards me. Now that we're adults, we only see each other every few years anyway. I just thought it was strange since she always did it blatantly in front of everyone else, but no one seemed to care. Her mum and sister treated me the same. Then my mum was completely shut out of any of Claire's wedding events, which destroyed her feelings and made me hate her even more. My long distance boyfriend came to meet everyone for the first time. For visa reasons, we were going to start the marriage process a little sooner than we originally planned, but it is what it is. So my boyfriend was planning on asking my dad for my hand at the end of the trip. I only told one other girl about it, who I'm closest with, but she obviously blabbed. While all the kids were hanging outside and the parents were inside, Claire accidentally mentioned it in front of everyone, including my brother. Some of the parents overheard from inside. Now I have about 25 people in our private business. Claire was so obviously pleased with herself. My dad can be kind of reactive when he's not expecting something. So the publicity of this made him even more frazzled. And when we brought it back to the house, everything was basically ruined. He was flustered and started going on about how it's too soon. It had been a year and a half and wouldn't listen while we tried to calmly explain to him that the fiance visa itself can take up to almost a year. My boyfriend and I are fine and still together. It's just something that obviously should have been between us and my family and gossip started flying. We go home, life goes on, yada yada. Fast forward a few months and I have to see her when she's in town and I'm at a get together with some of the kids who also live in my city just the two of us and she accuses me of assaulting her 
I'm genuinely shocked. She said she doesn't have the heart to blow up the community right now, but laughed at me when I reminded her that it was actually her and suggested that this info might come out whenever my wedding may be. This sort of made me spiral for a few months. I wasn't sure if I was remembering it the wrong way or something. Sobbing, imagining how I was going to explain it to my boyfriend and if he would break up with me. I even started seeing my therapist twice a week where she made it very clear that what I was describing was not a false memory at all and she was 100% confident this actually happened to me. And apparently, Claire turning it on me isn't uncommon a very important piece of information claire is a coke addict massively massive cokehead doing lines to start the day cokehead went to rehab where she met her now husband yeah she's been sober a few years but she looks absolutely horrendous i used to do it recreationally i quit a little while back i just really hated the come down so we see everyone a few months later we're all hanging out at her family's summer house when we're alone she hints at dming my boyfriend before the weekend is over obviously not knowing that he's already in the loop. I walked out, I was so angry and decided I'd start getting ready for bed. I went to the bathroom and I'd packed my toiletries in a bag that I hadn't used in a long time where I found a baggie of old Coke and her toiletry bag was also in the bathroom. I snapped. I took the baggie, sprinkled a little bit on her toothbrush, chapstick and mixed some into the oil she uses for oil pulling before leaving the ensuite bathroom and slipping the baggie into a pocket in her purse. And it happened. Exactly what you'd expect. I don't know when she found the baggie, but two nights later, when she said she wanted to go on a walk alone, I knew she was going to meet a dealer. A week later, she overdosed, went straight from the hospital to rehab, and apparently her husband is considering at least a separation. I broke down and told my boyfriend. I wouldn't say he was pleased, but was surprisingly supportive and said if anyone deserved it, it was her. I realized then that I actually didn't feel bad for doing it. I was just scared that it was going to cost me my relationship, but it didn't. My dad is now on board since we've been together a little longer and we filed the visa paperwork. I probably won't see her for a few years and I'm not sure if I'll let her know subtly what I did, but screw you, Claire. The next time we see each other, definitely won't be at my destination wedding well guys if you thought the first story was pretty crazy um how about getting an ex-drug addict back addicted to coke i mean that is a definition of nuclear revenge i will say unbelievable i don't even know what to think about that (laughs) i mean the thing is with the first one right op said i know i'm not the good guy here now in the second one There's not even a a hint of an edit, a hint of remorse. It's just, yes, I know what I did was so bad and I don't even care. And my my boyfriend supports it as well. My fiance now, nuts, absolutely nuts. Wow, I mean, dabbing it on a toothbrush to get someone re-addicted. My word, that is the level here, my friends. That really is nuclear revenge. And now for our final story of today's episode, potentially the most serious yet, as well, it does involve multiple illegal things, including murder. Here we go. My family murdered an R word. Now, just to confirm what this R word is, it's someone who has done something illegal, assaulting someone without their consent in a certain sort of way. I mean, you can probably work it out, guys. This is my grandfather's story. It would have occurred sometime in the early 1960s. My grandpa comes from a very remote part of my country. Even in the 60s, they lived in a log cabin without a phone or electricity. He lived with his three brothers, his sister, his father, and his mother. It was a violent household. My great-grandfather was an alcoholic. 
My grandpa, his siblings, and his mother were accustomed to beatings. The culture of the time was to accept this as a harsh reality of the remote and difficult lives that were led so far from civilization. My great aunt was the youngest of the siblings, and as my grandpa and his brothers grew into young men and began working, she was left at home and began to take on the role of housekeeper as my great grandmother was often ill. She would often use her bad health as an excuse for not stopping what happened next. My great grandfather began aring my great aunt at some point. Most likely before she'd even begun puberty. Oh my word. It continued for years as her brothers all moved out and she was left completely alone. My grandpa says he truly did not know. He worried for his sister, receiving the brunt of the beatings, but he didn't know about this. I hope that's true. When my great aunt was 13, she became pregnant with her father's son. Oh my goodness. I thought this story couldn't get any worse. My word. The night my grandpa found out, him and his brothers snowmobiled out from town. And since none of them owned a gun, they had to use shovels to beat their father to death. The ground was frozen solid, so they burnt him, which also helped to destroy the evidence, I suppose. Although I'm not sure anyone ever questioned how my great-grandfather had died, these were very different times. My great-aunt's son, born of incest, is afflicted with genetic issues. He can barely see and he only has a single functioning kidney but he is happy and has healthy kids in their 20s now my great aunt drank herself to death in the 80s as did my great grandmother so i never met them my grandpa told me all of this when he was drunk as he's also become an alcoholic and so has my dad the generational trauma of my family is thankfully now broken with me and my siblings but this revenge murder this disgusting hurt was really just another sad piece of a puzzle of abuse that started long, long ago. Um, wow, there we go. I'll be honest, the first story in today's episode, yeah, it was over a decade, but it was pretty timid, you know, for nuclear revenge this is. Nothing that's like crazy illegal, just cheating, realizing that someone's cheating on you with another man, tough, but you know, that sort of stuff can happen day to day. Second story, um, a little bit, little bit more crazy there we're getting some some uh, some lovely illegal substances involved and we're getting someone re-addicted to those substances pretty nuts and definitely nuclear as all these stories were the third story though wow like i don't even want to go into what i've just read there unbelievable stuff i think that actually might be one of the most severe nuclear revenge stories that i've read like the r alone was nuts then the fact that she was 13 then the fact that she's got pregnant because of him i mean i guess it's to be expected right oh what what? just let me know in the comments right down below how are you actually feeling right now after reading that truly gruesome tale i feel a little bit less like uh, i don't know how to feel wow head over to hulu this march where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the acclaimed movie all of us strangers starring paul muscal and andrew scott Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Don't kill your neighbor's dogs. My crazy, antisocial, elderly aunt lives in the mountains of West Virginia. My aunt is a mean, bitter old woman who was suspected of shooting and killing her ex-husband 
but the cops could never pin it on her. Years ago, she bought a small home on some land that borders the land of another family in a small, narrow, isolated, forested mountain valley. The other family had been living there for a long time and they just wanted to be left alone, like most people who chose to live in a remote mountain location in West Virginia. My aunt bought chickens and started to let them run around, unfenced on her property, and the neighbor's dogs were very interested in those chickens. The chickens would roam around and go over onto the neighbor's property. One day, without warning, she killed her neighbor's dogs for killing one of her chickens and only one of the dogs was killed on her property. The other one was shot dead in the neighbor's front yard. The neighbors had small kids and they loved those dogs. My aunt walked over with a shotgun and told the neighbors that they had better never get another chicken killing dog or dogs again or else she would kill them too the neighbors didn't take too kindly to her killing their dogs and her actions with the shotgun waving it around and threatening them were over the top but they didn't call the cops knowing that my crazy aunt who had a reputation for being violent was unlikely to be arrested and if she was arrested she would just quickly be released from jail and be back so a couple of weeks later when my aunt went into town her home's back window was broken and a bottle of burning oil and gas was thrown into her home. By the time the fire department finally arrived, the home was a complete loss, and every dog and possibly ex-husband killing shotgun and firearm my aunt owned, along with all her other worldly possessions, were incinerated. The home was a total loss, along with the chicken coop, etc. The neighbors didn't see anything, and the sheriff's department couldn't prove anything. My aunt had a long list of enemies. She didn't work and so was too poor and lazy to have her homeowner insurance. So she had to move and her son eventually bought her a cheap, rundown trailer in town. Those of us who knew my aunt figured she got what she deserved. Moral of the story, don't screw with a mountain man's dog. There we go. Emphatic but very justified revenge there. Brilliant stuff. If you've got a problem in your life and you know a way that you can deal with it and get that problem gone forever then do it. And it seems like you did. I'll be completely honest. I'm kind of surprised that you didn't go any further and cause actual harm onto her yourself. As I've said multiple times, I've never owned dogs or proper pets. I don't want to be harsh on my own pets, but you guys know what I mean. So I I can't speak on the bond that you have with your pet. But from what I've heard and from what you guys are going to tell me in the comments down below, if your dog was to be shot by your neighbor for no reason at all, I mean, come on, killing a chicken, yeah, they're dogs. What do you expect? Then I think a lot of you out there listening and watching right now would have done a lot worse things than simply burning down your neighbor's house. My ex-fiance refused to respect my boundaries, so I married his best friend. Back in 2019, I just moved my long-term partner into my house due to a series of poor life choices on his end. It had been a rocky relationship for most of its duration, but I was young and dumb. I believe that this was him wanting to commit and truly start our lives. By early 2020, we were engaged. I was a full-time university student, sole caretaker for my mentally disabled mother, and taking care of the house and our pets. He worked a standard 40-hour week, minimum wage job, and refused to help with any aspect of life. I found out on Christmas Day 2020 that he'd been unfaithful and had forgotten to tell me he was planning on leaving me but had informed everyone except for me because he was failing to secure a new residence apparently his f buddy didn't like him enough to let him move in at this point there was very little love lost and i expected he'd be moving out within the coming weeks fast forward three entire months and his search for a living place was non-existent and he was acting more and more entitled 
clearly by this point he's an unwelcome freeloader who's taken up residence in my living room I was about to secure an eviction notice to get him off my couch He began swiping tinder with his phone volume loudly on I told him to not do that in my presence as it was highly insensitive to do it in my home And could he do it in private? But this continued So I told him that I was gonna sleep with one of his friends It was said in a moment of anger and was more of an empty threat at the time However, I am known for seeing goals to their completion I messaged the guy who was supposedly my ex's best friend and the best man for the wedding It turns out he didn't even consider my ex a close friend And my ex had acted similarly terribly to this guy previously as well We bonded over our terrible experience Hit it off really well in general and started dating I was upfront about what the catalyst for me to reach out to him in the first place was and after two years of dating though We were married april 2nd. He watched me graduate with that bachelor's degree my ex disliked I'm halfway through my masters and my husband works in a specialized steady field that supports us Last I heard my ex got kicked out of his dad's house Never was able to officially date his side chick and has not made any choices to better his life You know the great thing about this story is that even after everything that happened in it right at the very end The side chick didn't even consider this guy to be worth more than sex plain and simple And uh, that is the true tragedy of this story. What was it all for? Again, you know, people say everything happens for a reason. And I'm I'm a little bit cynical just in general. So I I would would tend to disagree with that. But when you read a story like this, I I can't help but think, you know what? This was meant to happen. It really was. It's just a perfect story, a perfect ending. You got out of a relationship, which probably wasn't ideal anyway, if you think about it properly in hindsight. And now you're in a great one with a a guy that really cares about you. So win-win. And now for our third story of this episode. And let me tell you guys, this one is class. It's a long one, so settle in, but it's brilliant from start to finish. Here we go. Former manager ends my job at the company I loved. I helped end his career in local tech forever. First of all, the background. I worked at a very big tech company for a very long time, like decades. Over the years, I'd worked my way up from being a noob to a kind of specialist fixer. I became fairly well known internally as a security slash emergency response person. I got assigned the bad or unfixable projects, many of which made news headlines. I have many stories that I can never tell publicly, sadly. Suffice to say that multiple senior vice presidents in various divisions got to know who I was because I effectively wrangled gnarly and complex problems and herded many intense tech nerds together to resolve big things in multiple divisions over the years. It was so fun. At the time of our story, I was working on a small security team in a product engineering division. It was a somewhat turbulent time and our team of eight had weathered multiple reorganizations and had so many manager changes. It was a lot, but we kept our heads down and did the work and we all got along just fine. Sidebar and relevant for later, one of the better managers assigned to run our team immediately assigned me a huge and complicated and urgently important project to manage. It would involve people in six different divisions, had seriously big legal implications, and our senior VP wanted it to happen by an aggressive deadline within like four to six weeks. Oh, and my manager was leaving imminently on a long planned vacation, so he apologetically would be away for the next three weeks and would be unable to assist. The project was to do something big and technical and which had never been done before, so no one was entirely sure how to do it, who it would require, what steps in what order, Some of the key players had what we gently called difficult personalities. Oh, and by the way, it would definitely make international news and cause a ripple in the industry when we did it. No big whoop. 
The manager was a decent guy and he felt bad about leaving me with this thorny mess and I did it We got all the people from all the divisions in a room and mapped it all out on a whiteboard It took days We hashed out how to do it before the deadline actually well before for bonus points and we lined up everyone to get it done Before we pulled the actual trigger on the very big thing I had to attend a meeting with the vp and exec leadership several levels of management above me And with the legal team to present the plan and to assure all of the execs that we were ready and had it all handled So I looked the vp in the eye and I assured him that i've got this and then I did The team did the big thing sooner than the deadline. It was flawless. We rocked it Woo just another day at the office Part two, the inept manager. A few months after that epic project, our good manager left us for another role. And someone new moved over from an unrelated division out of nowhere. We'll call him inept manager. Inept manager did not know anything about security. He did not know anything about emergency response. He didn't know anything about what our division did. In fact, no one on our team had ever heard of this guy. He was that worst kind of middle manager self-important dismissive of everyone cares most about appearances and ego micromanages stuff he doesn't comprehend and just makes everything worse but he apparently knows people and those people get him job assignments because of politics loyalty well he certainly didn't have any skills or experience for our team Ugh, that guy is the worst one of the inept managers many weird quirks was that he didn't think it was appropriate for our team to disagree with or correct each other in front of other people Things in tech, specifically product development, move pretty quickly and things can change all the time. So if some of our team was meeting with someone from another team and someone said something like, so we decided to make the sky green and we're on schedule and someone else on our team chimed in to say, actually that's changed. We decided that the sky is now going to be blue and we pushed the deadline back two weeks. That just happened in an earlier meeting. Oh, okay, cool. The inept manager would interrupt that and say, We clearly need to get on the same page. Let's end this meeting right now and reschedule when my team has all the facts straight. Um, what? That's insane. We'd literally never have any meetings if we waited until everyone knew all of the same information all the time. Other teams would routinely leave meetings with us with inaccurate info, which affected release schedules, resources. It was just a mess. My question is, is that not the point of a meeting to get everyone on the same page? Hey, maybe I'm wrong and Annette Manager knows something I don't. Part three, Annette Manager hostility. Shortly after the Annette Manager became our manager, he started being really hostile to me. Not to everyone on the team, just me. As far as I knew, I hadn't done or said anything to earn his hostility. But suddenly, after over 20 years at this company, I could do nothing right. While this jerk didn't actually understand most of what my job was, he was sure I wasn't doing it right. And he was quick to tell me so and often in front of others to the point that my co-workers would take me aside to ask what the actual frick was going on I didn't know either. The thing is I was the only woman on the team and I have a disability Now i've been through some things working in high tech over those decades It was very much an old boys club back then and meh, I was fine I'm not one to claim discrimination at the drop of a hat or for no reason however When I was trying to piece together the cause of this dude's hostility, some of his comments were sexist and not at all subtle. He also didn't like that due to my disability, and frankly my seniority, I was given one of the few offices with a door on it in our new building. The rest of the team was in open floor plan cubicles, which everyone hated. 
he was incensed that I, a lowly direct report and woman, got an office. And he didn't. Well, I had more seniority than just about anyone, so even without my disability, I'd have scored the office ahead of him. Note that other men in our division got offices too, because again, seniority, but that bothered him less. I was the only woman on our floor with a door, and I was his subordinate. His ego did not like it, not one bit. He threw a fit about it, repeatedly. There were lots of other things said. My favorite among them towards the end was him reprimanding me for my bad attitude in a meeting we just had. The Annette manager had told me beforehand not to say anything during that meeting because he was insisting on sharing incorrect information again and he knew that I'd want to correct it. So I sat quietly and I kept my eyes on the PowerPoint presentation or the floor nearly the whole time. When I asked him how I'd had a bad attitude when I hadn't said anything as he'd requested, he said, I didn't like the look on your face. Um, okay, dude. After realizing there was nothing I could do to make this guy happy with my work and to lose his hostility, I finally went to HR to go on the record. I knew they'd do F all about it, but I wanted to document it at least. So predictably, they told me to work harder at getting along with the inept manager. And because it wasn't my first rodeo, I went back to my office and emailed HR saying, thanks for meeting with me about my concerns about inept manager. I fear his bias and misogyny will reflect negatively in my next performance review. HR should be aware that there is a real problem here and I hope you'll take steps, etc, etc. Which of course, they didn't, but now it was on the record. Part 4. The Axe Falls And then, a few months later, he gave me a terrible performance review, as expected. Long story already long, he was trying to fire me for underperformance. Unfortunately for me, the company had started rounds of layoffs all over, and it was the worst possible time to be looking for another job internally. And now, I had a bad performance review on my record too. I went back to HR and said, That thing that I said I was worried would happen when we met six months ago? Yeah, that happened. Exactly as I said. Now what? HR, once again, was no help. Also, they'd done literally nothing, but hey, it was on the record again, helpful for the attorney later. Blah, blah, blah. When I realized I couldn't find a new gig at my company because of all the layoffs, I scored a new job for much more money at a different local tech company, and pretty quickly. I live in a tech-heavy area. There was lots of shuffling between three to four big companies during this time period, and we'd often bump into other company veterans at these other companies. It was a small world. With my track record and references, it was super easy. After that was lined up, I called an employment discrimination attorney to negotiate my exit from the company I thought I'd work at until I retired. Sad face. Because I had documentation with HR explaining the inept manager's misogyny and ableism going back for some time, and because they'd done nothing about it, and because there were witnesses who confirmed his behavior, they had no leg to stand on. They agreed to write me a relatively nice check to go away and to not sue them. And I agreed to not talk about the details of my separation agreements. I went down to my lawyer's office and signed the agreement. I looked to see who had signed the agreement for the company. I assumed someone from HR, but it was still blank. I'd eventually get a copy once someone there signed it. I took my check and packed up my office and left. Bye, old company. I started my new job a few weeks later. Part 5. Now we're getting into the revenge. Karma begins. This was August of that year that I left. I got my copy of the executed contract in the mail in October. Who signed it for the company? Not HR, but my exec VP. The one who asked for the urgent, highly important, legally complicated project. 
the guy I looked in the eye personally and then delivered on this very big thing that he personally asked for before the deadline he asked for. That is who signed on my separation agreement. I suspect that he had no idea until that moment that I was gone and I imagine that he likely had many questions about what the frick had happened. And also, why did they have to pay me a chunk of money on the way out? Whoops, I chortled when I saw it. Since the VP knew me and we had some history, and the inept manager was new to the division and was one of hundreds of middle managers he'd likely never heard of, I'm guessing the inept manager had some explaining to do. Mwahaha. I really enjoyed the thought of that. And finally, part six. Karma for reals. Cut to November. As I mentioned, it was a relatively small tech community in the area. And those of us who worked in security, in particular at Company X, would often encounter other current and former colleagues at Company Y or Z or whatever. Heck, there was a ton of poaching going on between the companies. One day, I got an in-company chat from someone who'd worked in security at my old company. We'll call her Security Colleague. Security Colleague asked me if I knew someone named Inept Manager. Um, why yes. Yes, I did. Why? Because Inept Manager was appearing on Security Colleague's schedule to interview for an open management position the very next day. It seems that shortly after my former exec VP had signed my separation agreement contract, Inept Manager was actively looking for a new job at a new company. Heh. Security Colleague asked me what I thought about him. I said, you know, I can't really talk about it for legal reasons, which, boom, everyone knows what that means. But if you wanted to ring my personal cell phone later this evening to catch up on old times, please do. She did. I hypothetically shared some stories with her about the inept manager. I also told her where his hot buttons are, the appearance, ego thing, the dominant stuff, etc, etc, and all about his misogyny and ableism, which was perfect since she was conducting his interview. I may have shared some specific scenarios and questions to ask which I knew would set him off. I wished her luck and for the love of all that is holy to please call me after when appropriate and tell me how it all went. Obviously, it did not go well for the Annette manager. When security colleague rang me, I couldn't wait. How did it go? Well, he got combative and angry and yelled at me twice during his interview to be hired as a manager. Facepalm. There were lots more details, now lost the time. Except at that company, interviewees were assessed as such. Either you were given strong hire for this role or hire, but not for this role. That means not a good fit for this job, but we like them. Thirdly, no hire. And then fourthly, no hire ever, not for any role. The Annette manager's interview was rated that last one. No hire ever. Blacklisted from any job ever at one of the biggest tech companies in the world. After being pushed out the door of one of the other biggest tech companies in the world. Derp. Shortly after that, it appeared that a net manager moved himself and his wife and kids a few states away to work at a smaller company in another region. It took less than six months from when I left my old company for him to be gone as well. What gets me, still, is that the Annette manager thought I was so inconsequential, so unimportant, that he didn't bother to check and see where I landed after he forced me out of the company I loved. And when he had to look for a job himself shortly thereafter, it also never occurred to him that I'd have connections with, oh, thousands of colleagues that I'd worked with over the years, some of whom, of course, could now be working at company X, Y, or Z, where he was interviewing, and where I'd scored a huge raise for myself. To this day, he doesn't know why his interview at company Y tanked so badly. 
And since security colleague was not legally precluded from sharing stories that she'd heard through the grapevine about Inet Manager's management problems, it's possible that other old security colleagues at Company Z and other companies in this area heard those stories too. Which means that he's unlikely to get a job at any major tech company in this area maybe ever definitely not at x or y and they are big companies among the biggest and it's all because he's a jerk ableist misogynist middle manager who underestimated little old me and there we go a great story to end off today's episode it really sucks to be fair that you're in that position you know a company that you've worked at for over 20 years you said one that you saw yourself retiring in and all that that dream just ruined by this annoying guy who you know had a crazy ego and thought he was better than he actually was of course it's very sad because not often in life do you get a job that you love and that you actively want to stay in until retirement i mean that's an absolute joy it's a privilege right we could all dream of something like that so for that to be ripped away yeah this guy deserved that revenge fair play to you op well done i beat the heck out of my sister and sent her to the hospital i can finally talk about this because all the legal proceedings have been dealt with So, I've been dating my boyfriend, Mark, for about five years. He is the best thing that has ever happened to me. He's kind, smart, understanding, and absolutely beautiful. When we started dating, he was a bit closed off and was afraid to initiate any form of intimacy. I at first thought it was because I was his first relationship and maybe he was nervous. But six months into us dating, he tells me that between the ages of five and 12, he was SA'd and awed by his mother. His father left when he was around four. It screwed him up in the head for a while. And when it got out, his mother was arrested and he and his two older sisters were put in the custody of their grandparents, who they lived with ever since. He was placed in intensive therapy and still goes to this day. He's come a long way and has healed a lot, but he still has some days where he gets really depressed and cries. Part of his therapy was exercising. So about two years ago, he and I started doing some bodybuilding workouts. I toned up a lot, put 20 extra pounds of muscle on, and he toned up a bit. Because we've been dating for so long and have marriage in mind, he told my family all about what had happened, though a less detailed version, and they welcomed him with love and support. Now for my sister, Sally. I've suspected that she's had a bit of a crush on him. She'll flirt sometimes here and there, but he never reciprocated and usually ignored her. I've talked to her about it so many times, but she didn't listen. To make a long story short, I'd gone out one Saturday afternoon with some friends to get some drinks and left Mark behind because he didn't feel like going. My sister had texted me prior to ask if she could borrow a few things from me, a sweatshirt, DSLR camera, and a third thing that doesn't come to mind at the moment. I said sure and to get it whenever. She went when I was out, unknowingly. When I came home, I found my boyfriend on the ground crying his eyes out and my sister trying to calm him down he was having a panic attack it's never safe to touch him when he has an episode because he may act out violently due to his headspace her hands were all over him and he was trying to push her away her shirt was also on the ground and she was only in her bra i tore her away and asked what the frick she was doing She said that she was trying on the sweatshirt when he walked in on her, freaked out, and went into an episode. However, Mark, through his tears, said that she tried to touch him. I asked my sister if it was true, and she said no, but Mark again said she tried to touch him. We have cameras in the house, and I pointed them out to my sister. Her face went white, and I don't know what came over me, but I saw red. I can't remember much because I was so angry, 
but I beat the heck out of her. I can't even remember if I was the one who called 911 or it was her through her beat up state. I do remember kind of snapping out of it because Mark was still going through his episode and I could hear him crying louder and I had to help him through it. It's all a haze. So I broke my sister's nose and gave her a black eye and bruised her ribs. She was in the hospital for a few days. Well, there we go. A pretty insane story to start with, but Opie has given us an update and some more context around this post. First of all, this all happened right before COVID hit, the end of 2019, and everything was just settled this last month. Now, this was posted on the 4th of March, 2022. So that's how long it took. Secondly, the incident happened in our kitchen. The front door leads down a hall directly to our open kitchen and to the right is our living room that leads to the bedrooms. Third, we have cameras in every room but the bathrooms and bedrooms because we have a great Dane named Butler. He's black and has a white oval patch from his chest to his tummy. He looks like a butler who likes to get into everything. So we set up cameras to keep an eye on him while we're out. The cameras don't have sound recording. Four, my sister didn't R mark but she did try to coerce him into sexual activities. And five, my sister didn't know I was out when she came over. I don't have the recording anymore. It was too painful to keep, let alone watch. Also, my memory of the whole thing is hazy, but the tape showed Mark answering the door. Again, our cameras don't have sound recording, but Mark said that when he answered the door, she told him that she was there to get my camera and sweatshirt. He said, okay, and let her in. He was watching TV, so he went back to his show while she walked into our room. She called out to him for help and the cameras showed Mark getting up to help her. I don't remember how long they were in there, but the tape showed Mark rush out of the room while holding his hands out as if trying to stop an attacker. My sister then emerged half naked while holding onto her shirt. Mark backed up into the kitchen, still holding his hand out, and she advanced towards him. Mark said he was telling her to put her shirt on and to leave, but she kept saying something along the lines of, hey, it's okay, I just need some help, that's all. And... You're a nice guy. Just help me out a little. I think by that point, he was declining into a panic attack as he started shaking. My sister took that opportunity to hug him. She said she did it to try and calm him down, but the tape showed her kind of grinding up on him. He pushed her away and fell to the ground crying and screaming. She then got down by him and was trying to wave her hands through his hair. Her other hand was also moving up towards his crotch. I remember from the tape seeing Mark flinch backwards and trying to push her away. She always moved back closer to him though. A few minutes later is when I got home and beat her to an inch of her life. I can't remember who called the police, but the police showed up and my sister limped to the door while I was trying to calm Mark down. I kind of remembered them asking questions and trying to help Mark calm down as well. They thought he was going into shock, so they put a blanket over him and the paramedics came. My sister was quickly evaluated and then taken to hospital. Mark and I stayed behind because by that point, he started to regain control again. I remember my parents showing up and asking what happened and I told them everything. My mum stayed with Mark and I while my dad drove to the hospital to see my sister. Mark and I pressed charges on my sister, emotional trauma and sexual battery, class A1 felony where I'm from. My sister tried to sue me, a misdemeanor charge, but it fell through. With the evidence we had, my sister was sentenced to 60 days of incarceration with a bond of $5,000. No one paid. She also had to serve 200 hours of community service and her name was added to a sex offender registry she can appeal to the courts to have it removed after 10 years she was also placed under a restraining order on top of that my sister owes us twenty-five thousand dollars. 
I got a small slap on the wrist and I have to do 50 hours of community service. Nothing too bad. My sister was cut off by some of the family and still is. Mark regressed tremendously to the point that he couldn't sleep in the same bed as me for months. He was required to go into even more extensive therapy. He's come some way, but nowhere like he was before it happened. It's going to take a long time for him to heal. I consider myself bisexual, but I lean more towards men while Mark is 100% gay. He finds the female body disturbing to the point that we've had to skip over full female nudity scenes in movies. My sister knew all of this. When I asked her why then she would do this, she said that she thought she could change his mind. I'm not proud of what I did, but I'm also not sorry. Oh man, there we go. I mean, what a story. You know what? I actually really, really like the revenge here. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. Two wrongs don't make a right. But I've read a lot of revenge stories where the revenge is perhaps meticulous or drawn out over a number of years. And while that is great, sometimes I do just sit and think to myself, if you've seen something happen, why not just sort it right there and then? And look, obviously you never want to be in this position, a truly horrible thing to go through. But I kind of like the fact that OP was just like, you know what, screw this. I am dealing with this right now. And yeah, it's my sister, but she's done a truly heinous thing and she deserves to be punished for it. What I absolutely love the most about the story, I mean, I'm saying love the most about the story. What I mean is what I love most about the, the resolution of this story, of course, is the fact that nobody paid the $5,000 bond. Not one member of your family paid that money. And a lot of the family now don't even talk to your sister. That just shows to me that everyone in the family knew despite the fact that this is family she's done a truly awful thing and she does not deserve to get out lightly look the fact of the matter is her reasoning there at the end saying that she thought she could change your boyfriend's mind tells you absolutely everything you need to know about this woman a truly truly awful person and um yeah once again i think you did the right thing what I will say is, is on behalf of your boyfriend, what do you even begin to say really, if I'm being completely honest? But all I'll say is, I hope that, that he recovers well and eventually works through this with the help of you, your family, therapist, whatever. It seems like he's got a good support group and uh, oh, a truly traumatic thing. And I hope he gets through it. Now for our next story of nuclear revenge. This one, an absolute classic of the subreddit, posted four years ago and is one of the most upvoted, the most popular stories that has ever been posted. A friend set up my dad and he was nearly beaten to death. My grandfather got revenge on everyone involved. This isn't my story, but it comes from my dad and other family members who witnessed it. Background. This all went down in the late 1970s when my dad was 17. The area he grew up in was in the UK and was a stereotypical working class town. The part of town my family lived in was run down, full of poor families and had its fair share of crime, but it was close knit and everyone knew everyone. This will be important for later. Now, my dad wasn't the most well-behaved kid and he hated being at school. But aside from a speeding ticket, he'd never been in trouble with the police. He was, and still is, a really talented musician and had a very active social life. For his 17th birthday, one of his friends bought him a leather jacket with a very specific logo on it. We'll call this friend Dave for future reference. According to my dad, it was a rare and quite expensive motorcycle jacket. He was extremely happy that Dave had got it for him. Dave had bought himself the same jacket a while before, and it was a big surprise. My grandmother apparently joked that with the jackets on, they looked like twins, and she wasn't far wrong. They had similar features, black hair, and were both well-known for being kitted out in motorcycle gear. A few days after my dad's birthday, he was leaving work as a bartender in the town center at around 10 p.m. 
as he was getting close to where his bike was parked a gang of five men approached him from behind the last thing my dad remembers was being smacked over the head and passing out as he hit the floor these men beat up my dad with bike chains and a crowbar literally to within an inch of his life luckily two bouncers from a nearby pub heard the commotion and rushed to help the men ran off and the bouncers called the cops and my dad was taken to hospital it turned out that dave had quite a substantial gambling habit and owed a large amount of money to people who you really didn't want to owe money to they had threatened dave and told him that they'd be looking for him to teach him a lesson so dave decided to set up my dad to take the beating instead of himself or at least lessen his chances of taking it. He'd bought my dad the same jacket because these guys knew that that was what he wore when he rode. He then arranged for a guy he knew to find out when my dad left work and call up the loan sharks to let them know where Dave was. What a scumbag. The revenge. My grandfather and grandmother were obviously distraught about this whole thing. The first thought on my grandfather's mind was if my dad would survive. When that was answered, his second was how best to get revenge. A bit of background on my grandfather. He was a lifelong boxer and a career military man. He enlisted at the back end of World War II at 17, stayed in the forces through Korea, and then served in Malaya and Burma as a scout and sniper during the mid to late 1950s. He only reluctantly retired when my dad was little and worked as an engineer after his discharge. This guy was a certified badass, even into his 50s. And although he wasn't the best husband or father at times, he could never stand by and watch his family get hurt. The first move my grandfather made was to call up every ex-service buddy, bouncer, pub landlord, etc. that he knew, and even a few less than legit characters he knew from the pubs. In my town, word traveled fast and my grandfather was well-liked and had a bit of a reputation, so it wasn't long before he had the names and addresses of the five men who'd attacked my dad. Apparently, these guys had been bragging about beating up a defenseless man from behind. These guys were career criminals with violent reputations, but my grandfather really didn't give a dang who or what they were. My grandfather then called up a few of the most dangerous, hardened guys he knew from the service. He explained to them what had happened, and they were all happy to help. One night, the group kicked in the doors of each thug and beat them to a pulp, all five of them. They knew that if they hit one, the others would hear about it and run, so they hit all five of them in one night. My grandfather knew no one would call the police in the area they lived in. Talking to the cops was a big no-no in that area back then, so there was little chance of being caught. All five guys ended up bloody with broken noses, shattered teeth, and the requirement to be fed from a tube by the end of the night. One of them had to be put into a medically induced coma. Of course, the police interviewed all of them in hospital when they sufficiently recovered, but none of them talked, both out of fear of my grandfather and fear they'd be labeled as rats, and nothing came of it. But my grandfather wasn't done there. My grandfather used his connections in the clubs and bars to start spreading rumors about why they'd been beaten up. Soon it had gotten around that these five guys had screwed up and had beaten up the wrong person. Not only that, but they bragged about it and lied to whoever they worked for about it. Not only were they physically broken, but my grandfather ruined their credibility so that when they got out, no one, criminal or otherwise, wanted to be associated with them. Once this was all done, my grandfather turned his attention to Dave. He'd specifically left Dave for last, knowing that he would poop himself knowing that my grandfather knew what he'd done. 
My grandfather, however, was much more subtle in dealing with Dave, as he thought that a simple beating would be too good for him. He waited and asked around, and it turned out that Dave was not only a compulsive gambler, but also had recently turned into a heavy drug addict as well. My grandfather found out who he was buying his drugs from, when he would usually buy and where. He had a buddy of his follow Dave when he went to buy his stuff, follow him to where he was living, and let my grandfather know. My grandfather then called in an anonymous tip that there was a huge drug deal going on at the address and he thought he heard gunshots. He got two of his buddies to do the same. The police investigated, searched the house and caught Dave red-handed with boatloads of drugs in his home as well as counterfeit bills and a ton of other illegal stuff. Dave was charged, denied bail and ended up pleading guilty to all the charges laid against him. My dad could never remember his exact sentence but it was definitely heavy at least 15 years to add to that dave owed a lot of money to a lot of people and let's just say his time in prison was made much worse by this fact my dad never spoke to him again his parents disowned him his girlfriend dumped him he struggled to get a job with his record and when he got out he had to move miles away as no one he knew wanted anything to do with him my dad eventually recovered from his injuries although you can still see various scars on his body from the beating he took My grandfather never told anyone what he'd done until my dad asked him about it when he got really ill in the early 1990s. Dave's life was ruined and out of the five who attacked my dad, three ended up in prison later in life and two ended up dead due to crime. My grandfather passed away in the late 1990s and although my dad and him had their issues, it could never be said that he didn't look out for him when he needed it. Um... Wow, is all I can say after reading that. That was simply stunning. Uh, goodness me. Even what happened in the first instance, what Dave did to you was absolutely shocking. I, honestly, I know, well, this is about your dad, isn't it? I know your dad nearly got killed, but very clever from Dave to, to set your dad up as him. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that, but I was kind of thinking that's pretty genius from Big Dave to do that. Nonetheless, your grandfather's revenge, just like chef's kiss, because not only did he absolutely brutalize these five Donnies that deserve that? But he could have gone one further with Dave, but that would have been the wrong play. What he did in the end was absolutely perfect. You can't just let Dave get away with one beating. You can't. And I, I do think that the killing would have gone too far. So that lovely little middle ground of absolutely destroying his life is a perfect solution. So to your grandfather, I salute you. To Opie, your dad, I say, well, very tough that this happened, but hopefully you feel backed up by your dad and uh yeah overall a brilliant brilliant story with some very very satisfying revenge mess with my kids lose your house i am a 50 year old man and i've got two stepsons who i just call my sons as i've been in their life since they were eight and ten and they're now young men my wife and i made it a point to have a great relationship with their dad jason and made sure he had a chance to be around as much as possible even staying at our place frequently to be around his boys as he lived over an hour away and couldn't afford to live closer. Jason had a crazy ex-girlfriend who tried to claim they were married. Variously saying common law or that they were married in secret or married on an Indian reservation, but he had a restraining order out against her because she was nuts and had tried various ways to screw up his life. The ex is a horrible person. She's been arrested several times for forgery and fraud. She and Jason had a fiery relationship, but he had it in his head that he should make it work as he did like her daughters and grandson. But the ex got him sent to prison for violating his probation when he left the county to go to his mum's funeral and hadn't filed an appropriate form. 
I am a little unclear on this part, but she played a major role in it. After he got out several months later, she wanted him back and he wasn't having it. He made a clean break, moved to a new town, but she continued to harass him, thus leading to the restraining order. She would send texts to people, pretending to be police investigating, saying he was drunk driving or taking drugs or pretending to be friends and family to spread rumors and hurt him. She even sent texts to my kids from burner phones, pretending to be other family or friends, saying awful things about their dad. Now, Jason died unexpectedly of a heart attack, and it was a shock to all of us. He was finally living in peace, had great relationships with friends and his sons, and was the happiest he'd ever been. He didn't have much. He lived in a single wide trailer. A friend had let him stay in for free. Some boxes of tools, old comics, video games, D&D books and modules, mementos from his time in the Marines, and an old 2009 pickup, which on several occasions he'd promised my oldest son. Let's call him Paul. Jason didn't have a will, and my wife became the executor of the estates, because at the time of death, both the sons were minors and sole heirs. We packed up the things out of Jason's trailer and took the truck which had Jason's name on the title, but had to wait for the death certificate to retitle it in Paul's name. But the ex called Jason's sister, demanding the truck, saying it was hers, and posting on Facebook that she was reporting it as stolen, etc., which really angered me. After we got the death certificates, we went to the DMV and found out that she had stolen the title to the truck by forgery, saying she was the only heir and we couldn't transfer the title. My son was driving around with a packet documenting everything in case he was pulled over for driving a stolen vehicle. My son was driving around with a packet documenting everything in case he was pulled over for driving a stolen vehicle. We had to get a lawyer and start a special process that took several months before our director at the DMV fixed it and we were able to title the truck with the ex continuing to threaten and cause problems, making everyone miserable and costing us several thousands in legal fees. Early last year, we got through probate courts The ex never showed, in spite of saying that she was the wife and sole heir. The court declared the boys as the sole heirs and my wife as executor of the estate in their names. Instead of showing up, the ex sent an email to the court saying she couldn't make it because of work, she doesn't have a job, and that Jason was never around his kids. He didn't miss a single high school football game, home or away, and never missed a home track meet, and that they were just leeching off his SSI for the back child support. She went on with a bunch of other non-relevant stuff just to trash my wife and sons and pretty much said it didn't matter what the judge said that she should get everything. During this time, we found out that Jason's name was on the deed of the ex's house. In order to get a reduction in property taxes because of Jason's disabled veteran status, she had filed papers to put him on the deed, but not the mortgage. If she'd just left my kids alone, we would have let it go, but she'd pushed principle beyond the point of detail So we filed suit for half the house. The property is worth about $380,000. We went to court-ordered mediation and she rejected a mediated settlement of a fraction of the value which we would have taken. In April, her lawyer dropped her and so she got a continuance on the first hearing. She then claimed that she had found a will from Jason designating her as sole heir in addition to another signed paper that she found as a quitclaim deed from Jason for the house. I did wonder if it was this or her not paying him, which caused him to drop her. She was going to go back to probate court to reopen, I guess, appeal, the probates, and needed time for that, which the judge granted. On Tuesday, we finally went to court on the deed to the house. Again, she no-showed. 
The judge had inquiries to the probate court and she never filed any papers. The trial lasted less than 10 minutes as the judge recorded the facts and awarded the estate half the property. They will impanel three lawyers to determine how the property will be sold and she's going to lose her house and for the first time in her miserable life, face the consequences of her actions. Frick around and find out. And there we go. That is the end of that one. I've got to say, first of all, OP, congratulations for winning the case. But I can't help but feel that it's very sad that Jason isn't around anymore or indeed wasn't around during the culmination of the story and now to see his kids grow up. You and your wife are doing an amazing thing. It's such a shame that that woman is just knocking about. I mean, why is she trying to fake a marriage that never happened? I mean, I know why, but come on. That's so easy to see through with just a little bit of questioning, right? Do you have the papers? No. Have you forged some things in the past? Yes. Hmm, maybe you're lying. Tough one, Uh, but yeah. Overall, it's a shame that Jason isn't around, but yes, as I said, you and your wife are doing an amazing job for these kids. I will just say though, it might be worth getting some form of protection in place because I feel like now that she has literally nothing, and again, not your fault that she has nothing, you completely gave her the option, right? And as you said, if she hadn't messed with you, you wouldn't have messed with her house. I feel like there's a chance she may now come after you because at this point, what has she got to lose? So as long as you have some form of plan in place, if that is to happen or some protection order or some sort of legality, that would be good and make me feel better and um, I'll be able to sleep at night. Until you do that, I'm going to be a little bit worried because uh, yeah, I feel like she might be hot on your tails quite soon. But nonetheless, great revenge very much deserved. Now moving on to our next revenge story of this episode. Now this one is an absolute classic posted over six years ago. One of my favorite posts of all time. Can't you just unload around me? So this happened earlier today and was too perfect to not share with you guys. I work in construction as the foreman for a new house build. The location is kind of strange. The house is 250 feet up a hill via a footpath only. All of our materials have to come up that footpath by hand. It's a pain in the butt to manually carry, quite literally, an entire house up this hill. One of our saving graces is having the two parking spots on the street at the bottom of this hill marked with official no parking signs. Unfortunately, there is an elementary school about half a block away, and the parents of children seem to regularly, at least twice a day, think it's okay to park in our spots. Now, I consider myself a reasonable person. So if someone is parked in the spots and we don't have a delivery or need to park a truck, I'll let it go. But if we need the spots and there's someone parked there, I will ask them to move nicely. And most of the time they do so immediately until today. I get a phone call from the lumber delivery truck that is en route to our location. He says he'll be there in about two or three minutes. I let him know that I'll meet him at the street and make sure he has space to park. He's carrying all of the material to frame the roof of our house, which is a lot of really big lumber and will take easily an hour to bring up the hill. So naturally, I didn't want him parked in the middle of the street with his hazards on for an hour when we have a perfectly good parking spot for him. As I begin my trip down the hill, I notice there is a school parent sitting in her car idling, assuming she's just waiting to pick up her child. I walk up to her car and politely let her know that she is parked in a no parking zone and we really needed to clear it to park a delivery truck. But she scoffs at me and rudely states back, I'll just be a few minutes and your truck isn't here. Take a chill pill, dude. Before I can respond, a giant lumber truck comes around the corner and I wave to him and then gesture towards him to the woman in the car who's now put her window back up to ignore me. I put on my best customer service smile and wave at her through the window. She puts it down halfway and angrily shouts, 
What? By now, the truck has pulled up alongside her car, and I politely ask her again, with a stronger tone of voice, to move her vehicle, reminding her that she's illegally parked in a tow-away zone. Then she gives me this wonderful idea. She says, Can't you guys just unload around me? Jesus, it's not that hard. I give her another smile and walk away. A brilliant plan forming in my head. I instruct the delivery driver to park as closely to her as possible and block her in with the porta potty that is at one end of our reserve spots and the parked car that is parked just adjacent to our spots on the other end. He smiles because he immediately gets what I'm trying to do and proceeds to expertly block this lady and her car into a little two parking spot jail. We unstrap the lumber and my guys begin humping material up the hill. Meanwhile, I call the police parking enforcement to let them know the situation. At this point in time, I wasn't trying to get her in trouble. I just wanted a record of why we were blocking part of the street so that we don't get in trouble with the city. The very friendly traffic officer lets me know that she can be there in about 30 minutes and deal with the situation for me. Wonderful. As we continue to unload lumber, the child of the parent shows up. And wouldn't you know it, mum is just now realizing that the lumber truck is parked so close that she can't get out of her driver door to meet her kid. She awkwardly clambers across the inside of her car and stumbles out the passenger door, shooting glaring looks at me and the truck driver in the process. She loads her kid into the back and then begins to realize that she has no way of leaving. She comes storming up to myself and the driver and states, I'm in a big hurry. You need to move your dang truck right now so I can go. Before I can respond, the driver gets a grin on his face and says, Mom, in order to unload the lumber on the truck, we had to unstrap it. And per our company policy, I'm not allowed to move the truck with any unsecured load on it. Sorry. This sends her into near aneurysm levels of blood pressure. Meanwhile, I can barely contain my laughter. Screw your policy. I have somewhere to be. She barks back at him. At this point, with impeccably convenient timing, the parking enforcement officer shows up and parks behind the truck. She doesn't see the officer arrive, and while the officer is still getting out of her vehicle, I just casually say, Can't you just pull out around it? It's not that hard. With the biggest poop-eating grin I've ever had, I watch as she realizes that I just used her line on her. Screw you, she yells and storms back to her car and angrily clambers back in through the passenger door and into the driver's seats. At this point, the officer is walking up to myself and the driver, but before she can even introduce herself, the mum in the car slams it into reverse and stomps on the gas, crashing into our porta potty and knocking it over. Then she throws the car into drive and tries to mount the curb and drive on the sidewalk. The officer, driver and I are staring in disbelief as she gets halfway over the curb and get stuck. I can hear her screaming obscenities over the idling truck from inside her car. The officer promptly walks up to the door of the car and orders her out. My favorite part of the entire thing is watching her face go to shock as she realized she just did all of that in front of a police officer. She gets slapped in cuffs as the parking officer calls for a second unit and she's promptly sat on the very curb she tried to drive over. She sits on the curb yelling to the now two officers about how we told her she could stay there and that we never asked her to move. The traffic officer responds that she was the one who was originally called when she first refused to move and that she already knows what's going on. While myself and the driver are giving a report to the second officer, my guys finish moving the remainder of the lumber and the driver finishes his statements and takes off to go back to the yard. By the end of the ordeal, she was arrested, charged with child endangerment, 
Her kid was in the back of the car the whole time. Reckless driving, destruction of property, the porta potty, and driving on a suspended license. On top of all of that, she also got her car towed. The kid went home with his grandma and she went to spend some quality time in a cell. I never expected her to actually heed my advice to just pull out around it, but I think next time she'll probably think twice about parking in a tow away zone if she ever gets a license again. And there we go, guys. Hopefully you now see why this is one of my favorite stories that has ever been posted on Reddit. I mean, that's just brilliant. I just got the picture of her in my head. Her in her car, just completely sandwiched in. Just beautiful, beautiful stuff. And ultimately, if she just followed the rules and not parked somewhere that literally says no parking, none of this would have happened. Completely her fault. What you guys did was not illegal. I mean, she literally said, can't you just unload around me? You did just that. Fine with me. And uh, yeah, I mean, I do feel for her kid because yeah, reversing into a portaloo and then trying to smash through a curb and maybe through the van as well. I don't know, through the lorry. Pretty dangerous stuff. I was a bit surprised when I saw that charge, child endangerment, but then thinking about it, it makes complete sense. And uh, yeah, hope the kid's all right. What's amazing about this story is that in every single paragraph, there was a moment in which this Karen could easily have just been like, okay, you know what? I'm done. I've made mistakes here. I apologize. Not even apologize, just say, fine, I was wrong. And just move or continue on with her day and not cause this terrible outcome. Every single moment, though, that she was offered that chance, and you offered her multiple, OP, she said, you know what? No, I'm doubling down. I'm going again. And she kept making the story and her situation and her kid's situation, sadly, worse and worse at every moment. That is the problem with these people. They have chances to get out of it. It starts off pretty chill. Please, can you just move out of the spot? It's no parking. Oh, yeah. Annoying for me because I would like to pick up my kid, but I'll do it. You have another chance. We're not going to go to the police. Just please move. Oh, we can load around you. Are you 100% sure? You see what I mean? At every moment, she could have just said, you know what? You're right. I'm gone. But she didn't. And that was her own downfall. I went no contact with my narcissistic mother over a tea kettle. She tried to ruin my life again. So I ruined hers. I'm 42 years old. To say that I tried for too long is an understatement. I tried the hands-off approach for my 30s and most of the time it worked. However, as I've been learning about my codependency and trying to heal from the trauma that woman has wrought across my life, I've been much more upfront on calling her out on her bull. I was patient. I wouldn't back down anymore and I'd often find myself feeling absolute pleasure at seeing her flying off in a narcissistic rage over me being able to beat her at her own game. Fun for a while, right? But I realized these talks and texts we had were coming at a price to my mental well-being. Sometimes I admit she'd get me. As a mum, she knew what buttons she could push to really get a rise out of me. I was trying to work on myself and started debating if no contact would be the best choice. That is when it happened. The thing that sent me over the edge was an old tea kettle. First of all, some backstory. I moved back to my hometown after my grandmother's health was starting to go downhill to take care of her. As she was a former nursing home CNA, I always promised my nanny I wouldn't ever let her waste away in one of those facilities. But with the move came drawbacks. My once flourishing career was gone and I was starting over at a smaller facility with much less money. In my mind, it was more than worth the price of being able to take care of my grandmother. However, I'd have to move in with my grandmother in her home. And as I've said, my mother is a narc. I wasn't crazy about this idea as I knew my grandmother only had a lifetime estate on the property. My mother would inherit and I knew it would be hell. 
Before that though, I got four amazing years with the women who actually loved me and supported me even through all the pain my mother inflicted upon me. Cue to when my grandmother finally passed. My mum sweeps into the home and starts to lay down rules and what I needed to do to stay in her home. Keep in mind, I'd done all the upkeep to the house for the last four years. I paid for everything and I never asked her for one dang dime of money. I know there's always a price when you ask that woman for help. So instead of bowing down and paying her rent to live in the house that she wasn't even going to use, I made plans. I informed her, no, that won't be happening, and let her know of my plans to move. To say she tried every which way she could to prevent my moving is an understatement. From trying to drum up new things I owed her money for, to dangling the carrot of signing the house into my name, to letting other family members know if they helped me move, she'd never forgive them. I was 39 years old. That is how controlling this woman tried to be. However, I just kept my nose down, packed all my things, moved absolutely everything I owned by myself and took off in a U-Haul not even a month later. After my grandmother passed, I did try harder in an effort to keep a relationship with my mother. I should have known better, but I told myself one more time. If she can't play nice, then I'm going to cut this out of my life for good. It didn't take but five months for me to be completely done. Since moving, my aunt made a group chat for us and my mother, mostly to keep up with our day-to-day lives. Funny memes, just checking up on me, and just wanting to know how my new home was. My mother would always say condescending things about my new place, but I'd let it slide and remind her that I would have been more than happy to live in her home had she not tried to pull what she pulled. That only made her say that I was ungrateful for her not having charged me rent for the years that I lived there, taking care of her mother and working full time. Keep in mind, my mother remarried a doctor and took every penny of inheritance my grandfather left me. To say she's rather well off is no exaggeration. She's just that greedy. But back to my story. Five months in, my mother starts texting the group chat that I took off with items of hers from the house. Upon asking what it was I supposedly took, she launched into a tirade of me never being able to tell the truth and that she'd never forgive me for what I had done. Again, having to push for actual details was hard over a text, so I called. This is where the tea kettle finally comes into play. The call. So I called. She starts launching into me about how I gave an old cast iron tea kettle to my father, her ex-husband. I'm like, what the heck are you even talking about? She explains what she believes that I had while living with my grandmother or after my grandmother died Given my father an old tea kettle from our wood stove I let her know there hadn't been a tea kettle on that stove in years and I wasn't aware it was even missing She'd somehow found out that the tea kettle was back at my father's place Now if you have a knock in your life, you know how they absolutely adore to twist history to their liking This tea kettle was in my father's family for generations. I grew up knowing this, but my mother simply took it with her in the divorce to hurt my father as family heirlooms meant a lot to him. So I kept explaining over and over again. I had no idea what she was talking about or how dad even got the tea kettle. After screeching at me for a while, I finally told her that I wasn't entertaining this notion of hers. I would call my father myself to figure out what had happened. She said I'd better freaking get the tea kettle back or there'd be hell to pay. The truth. So, I called my good old dad. Now look, my father isn't perfect, but he's been pretty dang good to me. Especially after all the trash my mother put him and I threw together. From using me to emotionally blackmail him and intentionally sabotaging our relationship wherever she could. AKA, he knows she's a covert narcissist because he was married to her. 
So when I call him, he answers with, Hi, is this about the tea kettle? I laugh and say, Bingo. He then explains, While my grandmother was alive, she felt bad that my mother had taken the tea kettle from him during the divorce and left it at her home, my grandmother's house. After I moved back in, my father started to come and visit us. He always loved my nanny and she adored him as a son-in-law. They reconnected and he helped us a lot while she was still alive. He'd even visit when I wasn't at home sometimes. He said he noticed the tea kettle but never said anything about it to her until she brought it up one day. She told him to please take it back. She knew it was his and she didn't think my mum even remembered having took it. Of course, she had taken almost everything from his house when they divorced. He was very grateful, of course, and took back the family tea kettle. Fast forward to years later, when my father was talking to a buddy about their divorces, and he was admitting that he finally got something back from her, even if it took almost 20 years. They had a laugh, but the friend's now ex-girlfriend was charmed by my mother and told her about the tea kettle being with my father. Boom. So she called him and started calling him a thief, and that he knew that tea kettle was her family's and had never been his. He just called her on her BS and said, well, hell, even if it didn't say my family name on it, possession is nine-tenths of the law, blah, blah, and on no uncertain terms, let her know that she would not be getting it back as it was his in the first place. She was livid, and of course, he was amused as she asked how the heck he got it in the first place. He explained my grandmother having gave it to him. But for some reason, she fixated on it being my fault, I had to have been the one to give it back to him. I was the one who gave her family's tea kettle to her ex. Tiring story, isn't it? So unnecessary and draining. With all that in mind, that was when I realized I was done. The emancipation. So having got the full story from my father, I was texting my aunt and mother in our group chat and telling them. My mother continued to call me a dirty liar with nasty comments in the group chat in front of my aunts now i'm the most patient and understanding person so while i really hate how my mother treated me i would never call her out in front of anyone i would always argue and debate behind closed doors and alone as i didn't want to number one bring anyone else into the mess that was her abuse and number two she was still my mother and i didn't want to embarrass her in front of anyone i don't know what it was about this tea kettle that finally broke me but it was the catalyst but there were other things that made the tea kettle incident explode. While I had moved, my mother was still intent on having me move back into her home so I could take care of it until I inherit it from her one day. Ha, yeah, right. So I tested her on this a few weeks before the tea kettle incidents. If I wanted to move back, her conditions were that I would only have access to one bedroom. There's three, but she and her husband are hoarders. By the way, his touch in this was allowing me to have access to the communal areas of the house. Isn't that so kind to allow me one bathroom and access to the kitchen and living room? God, they're a match made in hell. The reason I'd only have access to one bedroom was they miraculously put their home on the market and it was going to be sold. They were going to move from a three-story mansion to a three-bedroom cabin. So that's the reason she couldn't put the house in my name right away. It would have to wait until they bought a new house. They'd live in the cabin with me while the new home was being built and their old home sold. It's beyond insane, but this is how her mind works. I then told her, no thanks. I'm very happy spending way more money being in a thriving city and having my own home with three bedrooms. However, it struck me. My mother likes to lie a lot. So much so that over the course of the years I was doing the hands-off approach, I've recorded what she'd say and replay it to myself to remind me that I wasn't insane. Because as I'm sure many of you know, gaslighting is a hell of a drug. 
This house lie was another provable story. There'd be evidence if it was on the market. One of my buddies who grew up with me is a real estate agent. He hates my mother because of how my mother treated his mum. So he gladly helped me look at all the listings from as far back as a year ago. Supposedly, she'd put her house up for sale about a month ago. He couldn't find anything about it. It's listed as not for sale anywhere, even as of today's writing. So, boom, more concrete evidence of her lying. I recorded the conversation with her and her husband without her knowing it. Don't worry, I live in a one-party state. Because again, nothing comes without terms and conditions and she likes to rewrite history. Back to the future. I'd recorded this conversation. I thought it's about time that I do something different. If I'm thinking about going no contact, I might as well go out in a blazing ball of righteous hellfire, right? While she was attempting to humiliate me in front of my aunt again, I spoke to my aunt in a separate message. I'm sorry if you're going to be upset with me, I said, but this has been 41 years in the making and I'm done. She called me worried and I told her the truth. Finally, I let someone else hear the lies she told me. And in the group text, I posted the real estate listings and how their home was not listed for sale anywhere. My mother started to go into panic mode and was telling more lies about how it's not up yet because it was so new. I let her know that was a lie too, as it had been quite some time since she said she listed it. My aunt gasped, seeing her floundering for an explanation in the chat. I explained and she let me know. No matter what, she still loved me and understood how after years of abuse, I finally had enough. The fallout. So, as a narc usually does, she went on her rampage and started to blacken my name to everyone in our family and in our hometown. Not a big deal, I don't really like my hometown. The few people I keep up with are lifelong pals. They know the private monster my mother can be versus the public persona that most people get. But for years, it had been building. I had a lot of proof. However, I was trying to allow her to behave and back off. I'd not answered her since the night I posted those listings to my aunt's group chats. But I was getting nasty messages from the flying monkeys about what a terrible daughter I am. I finally texted and let her know. Unless she backed down and stopped this campaign against me, I was going to do something to her for how she's poisoning my name and reputation. I knew from reading about narcissists that this was coming, so I prepared. When she didn't stop, and a preacher I had never spoken to contacted me via Facebook to attempt to shame me into talking to her, I saw red. I did it. I went full scorched earth. I made a huge group chat with all of my contacts in my phone, all our family, some of her friends, some of her ex-friends, her husband's family, his kids, many people in our community, that preacher who decided I was a horrible daughter, just many who believed her lies. Most of these people had turned their backs on me anyways. So I didn't feel too bad when I sent them all the nasty things she'd said about them to me in texts, voicemails, and the phone recordings I had. I didn't realize how much I had saved, all just to keep my own sanity with her gaslighting me. And I sent it all. At the end of it, with the story about the house being for sale and the latest life fest she'd concocted shown, my father, who was also in the group chat, took a picture of the kettle. He asked in the chat, was this really worth it? Many of these people had also wronged him in the community due to the lies my mother spread about him after their divorce. He and I then left the group chat. The conclusion. Suffice to say, that ruffled many feathers. Many of the people in that group chat were upset at how my mother had spoken about them. A lot of them blamed me for being a horrible daughter, but some have apologized to me. I don't care about them. 
I care about the damage I finally inflicted on the women who hurt me over and over again with no conscience. I landed a blow to the weakest part of herself, her public persona. Her ego took that hit, and now she can truly be the victim she's always claimed to be. All of this could have been avoided if she didn't lose her goddamn mind over an old rusty tea kettle that's worth nothing. Nothing but sentimental value, and not even to her. That tea kettle was just a conquest to her, a token of victory over her ex-husbands. I went no contact that day. I've also cut off many of the relationships from the people in that chat, even if they apologized. It's not that I don't forgive them. I just don't miss them. Maybe I'm a horrible person for doing what I did, but I can't lie and say it didn't feel good to finally show people what she's really like. I spent so much of my life trying to be the good daughter that when I finally broke, I broke hard. I hope you don't judge me too harshly for my actions. But if I had to do it over again, I'd pick the same every time and there we go that is it for that whirlwind of a nuclear revenge story where to even begin with this the fact that this has gone on for your entire life just makes me feel honestly so bad for you i'm so lucky that my parents are just like very good in general they're just good people they let me get on with my own thing they would do anything for me they're very selfless i do take that for granted a lot of the time i'm not gonna lie perhaps with age i'm, I'm understanding that more how, how good they've been to me across my life but wow It really hits home when you read something like this. Someone that has for 41 years of their 42 years of life had to deal with someone like this and and only four decades later after being born have they finally managed to get over this, this monumental, I guess, hurdle in their life. Think of the lasting damage that this woman has had on her very own son. It's ridiculous. It really is. R slash nuclear revenge, more like R slash scorched earth revenge. But as for the revenge itself, it was absolutely meteoric. It was just, it was scintillating. It was sensational. And I thoroughly loved it. The fact that you just chuck everyone in a group chat and you have so much evidence to just show how much of a terrible person your mother is, is brilliant. It should be the go-to revenge, honestly. Record someone in private and just chuck it public. Why not? Like, yeah, it's not a very nice thing to do to somebody, but how about being narcissistic for 40 years? That's also not that nice. From my perspective, literally the perfect revenge didn't take much effort at all, just a bit of bravery on your part, and it had the desired effect. Great, great stuff. Try getting me fired. Enjoy homelessness. I was an adjunct professor at a college. One of the students didn't like me and tried to get me fired by making false accusations that I'd pinched her and caressed her hair. I did not take this lightly. I could have been fired or faced criminal charges. Now, this student was on a scholarship that required her to maintain a minimum attendance. Our college also requires a minimum attendance to pass a unit. As an eye for an eye, right? I accidentally forgot to mark her name down when taking attendance, even if she was there. A few weeks later, she was gone. I was confronted by her friend that she lost her scholarship and was now living out of her car because of my carelessness in taking attendance. Little did they know. And as a little edit, Opie has said, my entire livelihood could have been ruined. How was I meant to know that she wouldn't do it again? I can't kick someone out from a he said, she said situation. Some of the students were already treating me with hostility. You know what, Opie? You didn't even have to vindicate yourself to me. That final edit, whilst great, wasn't necessary. I was on your side the entire time. It makes complete sense. I don't care if someone's a student and you're the teacher and therefore in theory you should be the the wiser one, I guess the more mature one, you know, the person in the position of power. If they are doing these sort of things to you, which can clearly cause you to lose your job and ultimately ruin your life, then I don't see why you can't do the same to them. 
I'm sorry. It should work both ways. It's a two-way street. A lot of the comments on Reddit are pretty upset. They think OP went too far and there were better ways of doing this. But this is called nuclear revenge, guys. I mean, come on. What do we want here? And also, her life hasn't been destroyed. Yes, she's lost a scholarship, but that's it. She can re-enter another college and she'll be fine. She needs to learn a lesson of the fact that she literally could have ruined this guy's life just from lying. That is terrible and it deserves to be punished. This is good. Now for our next nuclear revenge story. I ruined my boss's life. A few years ago, I worked for a couple of months in a pastry shop. To work there, my boss promised me eight hours a day except Mondays, half day, and Thursdays, closed, and 700 euros a month. Obviously all off the books. Although I had some resentments about working illegally, I accepted anyways because I needed some money. The first day of work, I was in there for 11 hours. From 5.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. And then from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. I thought that was normal since it was my first day. Even if in reality, some doubts came to me right away because all the others had been there as much as me. And for them, it was certainly not the first day. The situation continued to be this. Hours ranging from 10 to sometimes 13 a day. Furthermore, for two weeks in a row on Monday, the day on which we were only supposed to work in the morning, we instead worked with the schedules of the other days. At the end of the month, I asked for my well-deserved salary and my boss got angry, telling me that I was only thinking about money when in reality, I hadn't even asked him to pay me for the multiple hours of overtime. He then told me that he would pay everyone at the end of the first week of the following month. The following day, after working as usual for 11 hours, at the end of the shift, he called me aside telling me that since I'd been presumptuous, I had to show up for work on Thursday, even though it was my day off. Obviously, I got angry and replied that I'd worked much longer hours than those agreed and that I would not show up for work on my day off. And so I did. Thursday came and I didn't show up, ignoring hundreds of calls from my boss and his wife. The next day, I showed up for work regularly and was severely reprimanded and then sent home for bad behavior. He told me that we would meet on Sunday to give me the money and then I didn't have to show up again, which I already wanted to do. So Sunday arrived and he showed up with 300 euros telling me that I'd done little this month and that I hadn't been respectful towards him and his business. I got very angry and also went to call my father who was waiting for me in the car. The two almost came to blows. So I took my father and we left, saying it wasn't over there. I kept in touch with some of my colleagues, some even over 18 years old, with whom I'd established a good relationship and who also worked illegally. They told me that the next day, he'd badmouthed me saying that I was a person without any form of respect and dignity. In Italy, we say una cosa inutile. They'd witnessed the scene the previous Friday and were speechless. They thought I had to do something and not let me walk on my head like this. And they were right. So I decided to do something that no one has ever had the courage or the will to do. So I went to finance to denounce the fact that he had made most of his employees work illegally and that he had exploited them by underpaying. Obviously not alone, but with my colleagues who were also tired of being exploited to support me. So we decided on a day and time for a pop check and waited. The agreed day was Saturday morning from 9 to 10, the day and time when there was usually more workload. It goes without saying that contrary to what is thought of in Italy, sometimes justice works. And that day, finance, with a surprise check, discovered the whole situation and immediately closed the business. 
Subsequently, the owner, as well as my former boss, was investigated and sentenced to I don't remember how many years in prison. The business was seized, and now his family is having to pay more than a million euros in tax evasion for other reasons related to false receipts and other things that I don't quite understand. Oh man, this one is absolutely shocking. <sighs> you just can't run a business like this without getting found out eventually. I'm sorry, it's just never ever going to happen, especially. If you treat your employees, well, they're not actually your employees because it's all illegal anyway. So let's call them slaves this badly. Like, I, I get it. You know, you think you can get away with it. Fine. <laughs> it's not good, but I, I can kind of understand why stupid people will try and do stuff like this to, to get around the, the system. But then if you treat those people so badly, then they're obviously going to report you, aren't they? How naive do you have to be to think that, yeah, okay, I won't give anyone a proper contract and I will completely abuse them with hours and then I'll pay them under half of what I promised in the first place and it will all be good. Like, no, you're so dumb. You're dumb enough to not even legally employ people, but then treat them that badly. You deserve to go to jail. Now for our third nuclear event story. Now this is where it gets a little bit more serious. Abuse me as a child, teenage me might ruin your life. I've wanted to tell this story for so long and I figured this was the perfect place. When I was about 10 years old, my dad got a new girlfriend, Lauren. Lauren was an evil monster. When I first met her, she was lovely and friendly. I quickly liked her. But over the years, everything went downhill fast. It started small. Lauren would steal my things, then deny it. Of course, everyone believed her. She'd tell me that my dad loved her more than me and that if she wanted, she could click her fingers and he'd never see me again. She read my diary, then told everyone what I'd written. She reported me to the RSPCA for abusing my animals. I wasn't. After a couple of years, she had my dad beating me. Yes, I know he was an adult with choices and I hold him just as responsible. She would constantly tell my dad how bad I was and encourage him to hurt me. After a while, he'd always snap and end up doing what she wanted. There are so many more things she did, but you get the picture. My dad and Lauren separated when I was about 16 years old, but they had a house together still. It was around this time as a suicidal, miserable teenager that I decided I'd get even. I spent months on my plan and this is what I did. I wanted Lauren's entire life to fall apart all at once, so everything had to be perfectly timed. I started by getting her fired with a minor criminal record. Lauren worked at a police warehouse for seized items, but naughty Lauren was stealing from the warehouse, so I made notes as to what she stole and when, and once I had a decent enough list, I anonymously contacted her boss with it. Lauren was immediately suspended and after a few weeks, found guilty of stealing. She was immediately fired and charged with theft, including theft of a class C substance. Now Lauren was unemployed and pretty much unemployable. On to stage two. Lauren, with no income, needed to sell the house as she was now unable to pay her mortgage. My dad also wanted to sell so he could move in with his new girlfriend. So I made the house unsellable and pretty unpleasant to live in. My dad and Lauren were stupid and never locked their back door. I didn't even have keys. So I'd sneak in when I knew they were out and hide disgusting things. Bugs everywhere, old prawns hidden under floorboards. I even stitched some old prawns into the bottom of the curtains. Dead mice everywhere, including under Lauren's pillow. Live mice in the pantry. The house stank and no one could figure out why. 
estate agents refused to list it or would only list it for far under the value and potential buyers would leave quickly after nobody could explain the source of the vile smell. Lauren was approaching bankruptcy, exactly what I wanted. Only one area of her life left to destroy. Lauren had been in a relationship for a year or so with this guy. I can't even remember the poor guy's name. We'll call him John. Well, Lauren was cheating on John and with his own father of all people. Now, poor John proposed to Lauren. He needed to know who she really was, though. One day, when Lauren had John's dad over, I got in the house via the unlocked back door. I grabbed her mobile, which she'd left in the kitchen. It took a few attempts and a lot of house watching to get lucky with the phone. And I texted John from her phone, pretending to be Lauren. I told him I was sick and asked him to come over. Of course, good old John rushed over. I unlocked the front door and texted him, letting him know to let himself in as I was in bed sick. I left and hid around the area. The drama was intense. Lauren and John's dad, half naked, chasing after John in the street, screaming and crying. I think John might have even punched his dad before driving off. Obviously, the relationship was over and John's dad even ditched her in an attempt to get his son's forgiveness. So, Lauren was alone, broke, unemployable, facing charges, and about to be bankrupt. Now, sadly, I don't know how the story ends. I cut contact with my dad around that time, and thus, my connection to Lauren was gone. I do remember my dad mentioning her being suicidal right before we stopped speaking. So, in my eyes, my goal was achieved. I didn't need to see the fallout anyway. Just knowing what I'd achieved was more than enough for me. And that's the story of how I got revenge. Writing it out, I realized how unreal it sounds, but that's the whole story. Okay, friends, get in the comments. Real or fake? I want to hear your immediate thoughts. Now, again, I'm never going to actually know if this is real or fake. It does seem a little bit fanciful, not going to lie. But for the sake of this episode, I'm going to treat it as if it's real. Therefore, what a story. Uh, I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of you. That is for sure. That was uh, conclusive. It decimated these people and that was conclusive. It decimated Lauren and ultimately, yeah, absolutely destroyed her life. Good to see. To be honest, I can't really get away from the fact that I think this might not be real, but I'll leave that up to you, the viewers. You are the Oracle. You must tell me the truth. Please do. My heart is saying fake. It really is. My heart is saying fake, guys. And for that, I do apologize because I don't want to bring you fake stories, but were you not entertained? I was. To be fair, the majority of the commenters are actually saying that they think it's real. Just a couple saying... Yeah, I realize how unreal it sounds because it is unreal. To be honest, like you bring your new boyfriend's dad over that she's cheating with to the house that you share with your ex and his daughter. You call the RSPCA claiming you abuse animals. I mean, I don't know. Somehow you knew she was stealing from the police warehouse as well. There's a lot of stuff here that smells a little bit fishy or prawny, if you like. But uh, yeah up to you what do you guys think and now for our final nuclear revenge story perhaps the most severe of the lot how about this for a title can't keep it in your pants have fun trying to live a normal life a friend of mine told me my story belonged here so here we go so in my country high school starts at the age of 15 and lasts for three years i was a year early so i was 14. During the first weeks of school, a guy in my class, for the sake of the story, I'll call him Connor, approached me and we started getting along to the point we quickly started dating. Now, little did I know that Connor would become my worst nightmare for the next three years. He was 17 when we met and just like a lot of guys this age, he was obsessed with doing it. 
He pressured me into having my first time with him and he broke up with me right after I eventually gave in. After that, none of our next intercourses were consented and he was very manipulative and gaslit me into believing I wanted everything that was happening to me. It took me a while to understand what he was actually doing. In fact, I only got it after hooking up with another person at the age of 17. Before it finally hit me, he had his way with me more than 50 times. That is tragic. During our second year of high school, he made the mistake of forcing himself violently on my best friend. She ended up getting an abortion because of him and I started plotting my revenge. Originally, it was supposed to avenge her, but it ended up working for me as well. I noticed that not only would he only approach the first years, even if he was 20 when I graduated, but he'd also target the youngest girls among them too. He was repeating to me how much more attractive I was at 14 than 17. Oh my goodness. So knowing that it was pointless to tell the police because in my country, only 0.4% of all complaints of assault where victims are less than 15 end up in a sentence, I ruined his reputation. I told every single one of his acquaintances that he was an R word. And to protect my best friend, I told everyone that I was the one he'd violated, which wasn't really a lie. The rumor spread like wildfire. And after a few days, even the teachers were looking at him with disgust. He was isolated. And the only reason why he wasn't bullied was because he was 6'3". Now, I could have stopped there, but I didn't. When we were third years, I knew exactly which universities he applied for. By snooping in Connor's bag, I found his application numbers. So using those, I contacted every single university he applied for and explained the situation, providing screenshots of his conversation with my best friend where he was threatening her with a defamation case if she attempted to press charges against him. She'd sent them to me to rant about him and I'd kept them all this time. All of them thanked me and he ended up not being able to get in any university. He had to repeat his third year because of that in an establishment where everyone knew what he'd done and all the first years would know that they had to avoid him at all costs. Okay, sure, but how about kick him out of the school? What? The next year, since I wasn't there to foil his applications, Connor was accepted in a university that I hadn't contacted the previous year. But unfortunately for him, I ended up learning which university he was going in and I repeated the same process. There were former students of our high school in the university he was going to who spoke up to the uni's mental health center about the inappropriate behavior that he'd had with them and told them what kind of rumors there were against him. Now, since I had provided proof that the rumors were true, Connor was permanently expelled for the safety of the female students attending the university. That is more like it. So now he doesn't have a degree and nowhere else to go and study with no social life. His situation couldn't get worse, could it? Well, yes, I made it worse. Connor tried to move to another region where nobody would know him and pass a diploma to work with kids. Wow, that is unbelievable, I've got to say. However, Connor is a phone addict and he couldn't help but share on his social medias that he'd passed his diploma and started working as an educator for troubled kids and preteens. Little did he know, I'd created an account pretending to be one of his only remaining high school acquaintances who I knew was chronically offline. With a bit of searching, I ended up finding his workplace and I started the same process all over again. I also added a message that he left on my voicemail where he was panting while telling me how hot I was. Uh, 
at the age of 14 and how he'd have loved to go back in time just to screw oh my god just to f me again i'm struggling to get these words out here my goodness me needless to say they got rid of him really quickly fearing for the safety of the kids i was planning on keeping reporting him to all the places he was planning on working at but his previous workplace took care of that for me I don't know how, but according to Connor's social media, they managed to get him blacklisted on a national level, technically invalidating his diploma. Due to this, he couldn't pay his rent anymore and ended up being homeless for a while before his mother accepted to take him back in. I'm friends with his older sister who knows everything about her and told the rest of the family what happened. From what she's told me, everyone cut off ties with both Connor and his mother including her. Now, I'm still occasionally stalking his social media to see if he's trying to get back on his feet. The last time I checked was today, right before writing all of this. So, SAing two people ended up isolating him both socially and from his family. As long as I'm alive, he has no chance of ever getting a girlfriend. He lives in the region where he spent his high school years, so nobody would hire him even as a cleaner, and he even spent some nights in the streets. Honestly, at this point, it's impressive that no one tried to harm him physically, make him go through what he made me and my best friend go through, or even end his life. Go to hell, Connor. And trust me when I tell you that you'll have to wait for me to die before even thinking about starting to have a normal life. Well, there we go. There we go, indeed. What a story to end things on. Um, Pretty nuts, really. I mean, what do you even say to that, guys? What is that you can say other than just, you know, disgraceful? Guy's clearly a pedo. Uh, if anything, I feel like this should have really have been dealt with much, much earlier. I don't know, but given the fact that you were both in the same school, couldn't someone at the school, like a teacher or some sort of HR rep or just somebody, your parents, have, have noticed that a 17-year-old was in a relationship with a 14-year-old? I would have thought that'd be pretty obvious. And you'd at that point say, yeah, maybe let's not do that anymore um, because that's actually illegal and very, very noncy. And then, you know, from there, I'm not really surprised that that the rest of the stuff happened if you allow someone like connor to do these sort of things in the first place can you be that shocked when you know he keeps going and things get even worse and even worse and eventually ends up with crazy trauma that may well have ruined two people's lives at minimum i don't know personally doesn't sound that shocking to me but i'll tell you what would be shocking if you don't subscribe to my channel right now ex cheated with her cousin-in-law and expected to save face I think not. Let's start this story by saying this happened 12 years ago. I'm now happily married with three children and regret absolutely nothing. I was with my new ex for three years. I'd noticed that she was being extremely controlling. I was expected to give every little detail of my day and tell her my schedule in advance. And if I deviated from that, she would be very upset. She chalked it up to just bad feelings that she was having and shrugged it off as her paranoia for past relationships of infidelity. I'd never once cheated or strayed and I never gave her a reason to act like this It felt unbecoming of my fiance to act in such a way Now this is where it gets juicy After she had asked for my schedule to make plans as mine tends to be more hectic than hers I noticed she was texting someone in my line of work If I put in more than 40 hours I have the ability to take time off at will as long as the work is completed at a later date I was very good friends with her brother and still am We laugh about this to this day and he actively reminds her of it. I messaged him stating I wanted to do something special for her a little bit earlier than our anniversary to make sure it was a special surprise. They both worked in the same fabrication facility. He was a fabricator and she a shipping manager. He was kind enough to let me know her schedule. 
that is where the discrepancy falls into place. Without my knowledge, she was foregoing overtime. She worked 12-hour shifts Monday through Friday, with the exception of Wednesday when she'd work half a day. She'd been taking Wednesdays off right around the time that she started getting extremely controlling. Lucky for me, I'd stacked several days of leisure time up, so taking a Wednesday off for me was not an issue. A few days go by, and Wednesday is here. I put on my work gear and leave for work. I was expecting her to leave as our apartment complex had two exits on the same road that I could see directly across from a shopping center. So I parked my car near the back and waited. After about an hour, I noticed a very specific red Mustang with a specific decal on the back window. It was her cousin by marriage. I'd also done my due diligence to take an old laptop, which we kept on our desk in an office area with a full view of the living room bedroom door and bathroom plus the kitchen i had set it up for remote access and had it alert me when the webcam noticed movements giving her the benefit of the doubt i thought he may be dropping something off or coming over to assist her with something as her family sometimes does sure enough a message came through so i remote into my laptop he walks through the door without skipping a beat she unbuttons his shirt and begins kissing him i created a url link for the live stream and as she was preoccupied We had a family group text and a friend group text. They were both part of it, but at the current time, they were indisposed and didn't look at their phones. They didn't even wait. They could have gone to the bedroom, but no, they decided to get freaky deaky right there on the couch. I sent the link off to the friend group chat and the family group chat, and within minutes, I'm getting calls nonstop from friends and family alike. There was no turning back. She was getting blown up, but she was ignoring her phone. Not until the fourth or fifth call came through did they decide to take a break. For context, the state I live in allows recording of personal property regardless of occupancy. I was the only one on the lease. She wasn't allowed to be on the lease because of poor credit. Wow, so this was completely legal. Well, actually, you let me know in the comments down below, guys. Is it legal to send this as a live stream in the knowledge of what's going on? I don't know. It probably gets... A little bit wishy-washy here but yeah in principle legal i guess the call she'd picked up was from her cousin's mother who she was banging she answers the phone on speaker and i kid you not the first words out of his mother's mouth were stop screwing my son they both became rigid and she began to stutter over her words saying what are you talking about etc the mother then divulged that there was a live feed of them sent out by me to her family she grabbed every pillow off the couch and covered herself up the cousin staggered off trying to put on his pants and shoes just to trip himself up and bang his head off of my coffee table leaving it with a divot by this time i'd made my way to the front of the apartment complex i was there to greet the adulterer as he came out of the front exit he froze and began to cry apologizing profusely i'm not gonna lie what happened afterwards wasn't my best moment and i nearly got into legal trouble if it weren't for the fact that he was trespassing on private property let's just say i had a cast for six weeks and he wasn't in any family photos for months i went up to the apartment where she was now fully clothed and crying inconsolably i asked her if it was snot or something else on her face wow then i told her not to answer because it didn't matter anyway i gave her one hour to remove all her belongings as again everything in the apartment was mine except for clothes some makeup and a few kitchen utensils her mother would not let her move in as she was just filled with embarrassment same for her brothers and the cousin's mother kicked her son out 
rumor spread around our town very quickly and for a lack of better words she was untouchable and there we go what a start to the episode now the beauty of this story is that although it just seems completely ludicrous and to be fair it pretty much is an insane story there is actually evidence that opie has provided to completely back up this entire post and confirm that it's true we're going to get into that in a second but for now goodness me put yourself in the shoes of these two cheaters getting caught as i said in the intro is bad enough but having your mum call you and say stop is just insane can you imagine being in the group chat by the way <laughs> It would have been absolutely popping off. Can you click on that link and just being like, oh, I cannot believe what I'm watching here. I mean, do you even look away at that point or do you have to just hold your hands up and say, this is brilliant. Got to keep, got to keep going. Insane stuff. What a start to the episode. But hey, here is the evidence. Now, I say evidence. Obviously, there's not footage of the actual live stream. That would be illegal. But we have some text exchanges like the one on screen if you're watching on YouTube that kind of just proved this whole thing happened when OP said as well. This is from November the 1st, 2011. Oh, I got you. Yeah, well, you looked great there, so very nice. Ha, <laughs> thanks, hun. You're still working a million hours. Got to too many bills. Ah, oh, where are you living at nowadays? Same apartment, just now without the crazy, abusive, cousin-screwing whore here. Lol. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. She screwed your cousin? She screwed her step-cousin. Wow, there you go. <laughs> Uh, insane. Here we have another set of text messages. Hey, dude, can I use you as a reference at blank? OP says, you wouldn't want to. Burn bridges there and nothing against you and the family, but blank pretty much gave off the worst impression for the family. Then a reply. Yeah, she's a hoe. It's all good, dude. Thanks and take care. Again, you can see this is July 31st, 2012 on Facebook Messenger. Wow. And here we have an actual picture of the ex and the cousin. If you are listening to this on a podcast platform, the link to watch the YouTube video and see these two is down below. But there we go. Some photo evidence. Here we amazingly have a picture of OP's x-ray, I guess. You know, he said about the scan and how if it wasn't trespassing on private property, he may well have had to, had to you know, go to jail or at least been arrested for this. I don't know necessarily if that's broken. It looks broken. He's pointing to an x-ray of his wrist goodness me that is some great evidence i'm not gonna lie that uh yeah things got a little bit heated when you uh when you caught these two and now here we have the conversation between op and his ex's brother from september the 2nd 2011 hey i want to surprise your sis for anniversary day what's her schedule this next week uh her brother says don't know i'll check it on monday thank you thank you morning dude did you check that schedule Gotcha. Saw this on lunch. She's here Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday from 6 to 6. So there you go. The 12-hour shifts without Wednesday, Opie says. So off Wednesday and the weekend. Looks like it. What you're doing? The bean, either cubbies or socks game and some grub. Probably grab a night box on Mitch Ave. Nice. Have a good one. We'll try for sure. Then, a few days later, the brother says, What is going on between you two? My mum won't tell me and Katie is blowing her head asking to crash it saying that mum won't help her This is on the wednesday at 4 19 p.m. This is the day it happened Unbelievable Then op says I can't bro ask. I don't know. Maybe your mum. I don't know And then the brother replies What are you for real? Yeah, I can't deal with this now 
I'm in wherever. I screw my hand up. Big effing ordeal today. <laughs> oh my god. Maybe maybe Joliet is a hospital. Call me ASAP, man. My gram was in that group chat. Oh my goodness me. Grandma's in grandma? <laughs> oh my god. Listen, I can't right now. I got too much stuff going on. I lost my mother freaking head today. I get if we ain't good no more. Tell your family I'm sorry and our peeps. I just need me time. The brother replies, we're good, man. Just give me a call. Screw that hoe. Then later on that night, I think these guys have, have had a conversation out over the phone. OP says, hey, man, I appreciate the talk and you having my back on this. Again, tell everyone I'm sorry. And no, I'm not going to pop myself. I just didn't know that she could do this to us. I want the freaking ring back. Her brother says, hey, man, you good. You pick up or am I coming over? Chill, man. I'm good. Just doing my morning glory and showering. Oh, a lovely text message right there. I was telling my boss I had to go. He knows something because sister isn't here. Don't care and don't use that word. Huh? What? The word is because LMFAO. Oh my God, this is brilliant. And then this last set of messages, I'm not entirely sure who it's between OP and, and someone else, but it's from July 2020 pretty much op just saying that at the end of the day you got to do what's right for you it's a good thing that he moved on from his cheating ex now has a couple of great daughters a great wife good income etc etc oh oh my goodness me there we go that is some unbelievable evidence so how about that i mean just simply sensational stuff the reason why i chose to to include all of that evidence is because a lot of the time with these posts on on reddit in general to be fair we have no real idea if they're they're true or not. We kind of have to take OP's word for it, no matter the story, and use our best judgment as to whether we think it happened or not. With this one, we can see there are messages and, and pictures and, you know, scans from the hospital over a decade. So, uh, yeah, safe to say this one definitely happened and is definitely one of the most crazy nuclear Avengers that I've ever read. Well, after that unbelievable first story, the second one has a lot to live up to, but nonetheless, here we go. I blew up a romance scammer's life. This one is fresh and still unfolding, but it's already hit an explosive level. Some details are intentionally vague. For some context, I am a woman in my 30s with a reasonably good corporate type job in a field with lots of room for growth. And I'm recently back into the dating scene after a decade. I'm kind of a would be a 10 if she lost 30 pounds looking girl, Beautiful face, if a bit chubby, but I never have issues getting a date. Lol. Very humble as well. I'm not well off, but I'm stable and have a bit of spending money. I live in a large multicultural city, and my ex was an immigrant, so I'm open to dating people of any origin. If it wasn't abundantly clear, this bit about my appearance is a joke and only speaks to his failure to select an appropriate victim. I don't care what people think about how I look. Okay, fair enough. I think that's a later edit. So uh, yeah, fair enough. So what happened? Well, a few weeks ago, I met a very charming man from a Latin American country, only a couple of years younger than me. Seemed very sweet, cuddly, intelligent, family-oriented, emotionally available, educated, and in a good profession back home in his country, and had a lot in common with me. Chemistry seemed amazing inside and outside of the bedroom. He was honest that he was in my country on a tourist visa, but hoping to stay. I made it clear I wouldn't be able to help him with that, but we'd have a fun summer fling while he was here. If he managed to stay or come back, only then would we consider a real relationship. Then the other shoe dropped. A couple of weeks and four dates in, during a text conversation about my work, he asked me to be his sugar mummy. 
I initially laughed and assumed it was a joke. He kept pushing though and clearly said it wasn't. Of course, feeling insulted by this, I went off on him. He maintained it as a serious ask until I hit a nerve with my complaints about how embarrassed he should be to ask me that. Then he got angry and insulted me for thinking he was serious about it. No apology for being hurtful to me. Obviously, what I did next was take screenshots and cry about it to my closest friends. I was hurt that I was fooled into thinking he liked me and that he thought I needed to pay for a man. My friends started the fuse on what happened next. One of my friends started snooping more on his online presence. Together, we found about six different Instagram accounts that were him using different variations of his name and different photos of himself all uploaded in batches. On Facebook, a similar pattern. All very scammy and suspicious looking. He'd been foolish enough on one of his profiles though to follow and tag the employer that he was working for illegally on his tourist visa in my country. So I contacted another close friend in a local law enforcement agency that works with immigration. She looked up his file and he had a wife and daughter at home. I released the hounds after that. The friend who helped me investigate online made several group chats on multiple platforms with all of his family, immediate and extended, and friends. She released all the screenshots as well as a rant about how shameful it was. As they started blocking her, she just added more people. I found his sister's phone number. She sent her messages on there too. Everyone he knows, including his wife, know that he's unfaithful and trying to take advantage of women. 30 minutes after the online bombardment started, I got a rude message from him about how I should be smart enough to know that he was joking and he doesn't need to sell himself. I didn't reply. Next step, online immigration reporting form with all the info we found. Work info, employer name and address, his home address, full name, date of birth, photos, screenshots, admitting to working. Usually, these reports take months to be reviewed, if at all. But I gave the file number to my law enforcement friend. Two days later, law enforcement officers visited him at home. They found him with a phone number that was issued to a local resident. All his roommates also had numbers issued to the same person, a direct link to the employer. He received a caution for trying to scam me, a no contact order and a flag on his immigration file that based on his country of origin will likely mean he can never return, as well as a strict warning to not work without authorization. His roommates also received warnings. His employer received a visit next. They found significant proof that they've been employing him illegally as well as multiple other people. Their investigation is still ongoing, but so far they are likely to receive tens of thousands in fines or possible jail time. The guy isn't getting deported because the government would have to pay for it and proceedings take longer than his remaining visa time, but he's now upgraded from a flagged file to a multi-year ban on re-entry to my country. If he bothers me again though, he'll be deported as well. I hope he enjoys going back to his angry wife and the ridicule from everyone he knows. See you again, never. Wow, what is it with this episode, these two stories in particular, and putting evidence into a group chat with the wrongdoers, family, friends, anyone, just embarrassing someone in front of their entire family and friends. There's not much better revenge in my opinion than that, seriously. Like you do something bad and you get caught, you know, from the person that you're doing the bad thing to. That is obviously, you know, not a great moment for you. It feels terrible, but at least no one else knows about it. It doesn't ruin your entire life. You know, your family don't disown you. Your friends don't all turn against you. This right here, live streaming the events, 
directly to your family and friends or at the very minimum sending screenshots just so everyone that you care about and who cares about you knows what you're doing it's just it is the worst it's so good it's brilliant karma and that is what makes nuclear revenge such a good subreddit a neighbor hit my car and lied about it so i ruined 300 pounds of meat while he was on vacation this happened about five or six years ago for some context my neighbor we'll call him chester is your stereotypical weekend outdoorsman type he owns at least 10 different baseball caps and they all have camo on them He's one of those. He drives a Jeep, which will be important later, and usually spends his weekends either hunting, fishing, or prepping for when the bombs drop. I tried to explain to him once that we were within the fallout range of a major city, so if it got hit, we'd be screwed either way, but whatever. Everyone needs a hobby, and some people's is collecting canned peaches. Two weeks before the revenge, I came outside to see my car had a broken window on the passenger side, and that part of the frame was dented just above the door handle. I can tell immediately from the size and shape of the dent exactly what it was from. As I said, My neighbor, Chester, drives a Jeep and mounted on his front grille is a cable wench he uses for putting stumps and whatnot. It juts out almost a foot and a half in front of the bumper and is made of solid metal. Anyone with a picture of the wench and the shape of the dent in my car could CSI that just from eyeballing it. The dent is almost identically shaped and situated at the same height the wench was mounted. On top of that, Chester lives directly across the street from me and he likes to back into his driveway. Conveniently enough, my car is always parked on the street, so he has ample opportunities to hit it. I asked Chester about it and without saying anything, he shook his head while biting his lip like some clueless cartoon character. I then asked if anyone who borrowed his car might have done it because the wench itself was pretty scratched up almost like he's been ramming it into things all over town again chester silently shakes his head and then tries to tell me it was probably teenagers no exposition mind you he just blamed it on teenagers i was fuming but kept my composure and went home to call the police and my insurance company to report it i managed to get a competent police officer who told me point blank that it was clear what happened but without a witness it would be pointless to try and prove it The insurance agent was equally certain of Chester's guilt, but ended up recommending I pay out of pocket for the repair. Since I was parking on the streets, it was a factor the insurance company might use against me if I filed the claim. When it came time for them to recalculate and adjust my monthly rate, I could see a significant increase. A few hundred out of pocket right now could save me several hundred a year going forward if my rate was increased due to my own negligence, which is what the claim would unfortunately be categorized as. Raw deal, for sure, but at least he was honest with me. Fast forward to two weeks later. Chester and his family are going up north to rough it in nature for a week. And despite my cold attitude towards him in recent days, he asked me to keep an eye on his house while he's gone, since I'm the only person in the neighborhood that he trusts, apparently. I agreed to do it, not because I had any type of revenge in mind, but because he gifted me a large case of beer for my service. His one request was that I call him if we have any extreme weather because he'd need me to check on something. Two nights after he left, we had a nasty storm. Wind, hail, and even a few rolling blackouts. The next morning, I called Chester to ask what he needed me to check on, but he didn't answer. Knowing Chester, he'd probably set up camp in some rural part of America with no cell phone service, even though he'd asked me to call him if this happened. After a few failed attempts, I went over to his house to inspect for any potential issues that might have arisen from the weather. 
I figured he was probably worried about his garage flooding since his yard was frequently a moat after heavy rain. I went into the garage and there was no flooding, but something caught my eye immediately. Four large freezer chests lined up side by side, taking up a huge chunk of the wall. I peeked inside one and immediately realized what Chester was worried about. All four of them were packed from floor to lid with meat. Some of it was still in packages from the grocery store and some of it was wrapped in butcher paper, likely game picked up from Chester's hunting exploits. But on the top of one of the freezers was something else that seemed out of place. It was a red solo cup full of frozen water with a penny sitting on top. I thought that was weird and dismissed it immediately, but curiosity got the better of me later that day when I got home. I decided to Google it, and what I learned instantly clicked as a way to get the ultimate revenge on Chester for hitting my car and sticking me with the repair bill. There's an old life hack that people used to use when they went on vacation. You freeze a cup of water, then place a penny on top of it and stick it in your freezer. If your power goes out, the water will eventually melt and the penny will fall to the bottom of the cup. If you return home and the penny is at the bottom of the cup, your freezer was off for an extended period of time and now everything in it has potentially defrosted and become unfit for consumption. I've just clocked what's about to happen. That is brilliant. I immediately got up and ran back to Chester's garage to scope out the legitimacy of my nefarious deed. As luck would have it, Chester's circuit breaker was hidden behind a tool shelf, not directly visible to the naked eye. Who would put a shelf in front of a circuit breaker? Well, Chester, of course. So I promptly took the cup out of the freezer and sat it on Chester's porch to let it get a little sun. After a few hours, the ice had melted enough that the penny slipped right to the bottom of the cup. I then put the cup back in the freezer, being very careful to position it exactly where it was when I took it out before moving on to the last phase of my insidious plan. I started blowing up Chester's phone with calls and frantic text messages. Chester, where is your circuit breaker? I can't find it and your power's off. Get back to me ASAP. I did this countless times over the next two days before I finally got a call back from Chester. He told me immediately where to go in his garage to find the circuit breaker which of course I already knew thanks to my prior detective work. I sat the phone down and flipped the circuit breaker twice. Once to turn it off and then a second time to turn it back on, giving it just enough time to mess with the digital clocks on all his appliances. And with that, my revenge was complete. All that was left was for Chester to come back home, which took another two days. When Chester got back home, I was nervous, but eager to see if my charade had worked. The next day I got a knock on my door. It was Chester. He asked me if I wanted some meat to give to my dogs. Apparently, the power had been off for too long and all the meat in his freezers had thawed out while he was gone, so he was throwing it out. I asked him how much he had and he said it was probably somewhere close to 300 pounds. He didn't want to waste it all, so he asked if I wanted to give some to my dogs. I graciously helped myself to roughly half a freezer's worth of meat some of which I stored in my own fridge, and the rest Chester was nice enough to offer to hold onto in his freezer until I needed it. The kicker is that Chester, of course, had no idea the meat never actually defrosted and was still perfectly good. That night, I helped myself and my dogs to a couple of nice steaks, courtesy of old Chester himself, 
who were still busy walking the neighborhood unloading the tainted meat on anyone who had a cat or dog that might want it it was at least four or five months before me and my dogs went through all the meat chester had given us i don't know if i made all my money back for the repairs on my car but i didn't have to buy any meat for many a fortnight well there we go what a brilliant way to start off today's episode that was genius uh, I wonder if you guys can tell, by the way. Let me know in the comments down below if you could. The moment that I realized what exactly OP was going to do. And literally, a smile came on my face. I wonder if you could hear it in my in my voice there. But yeah, genius. So simple. I really like these sort of revenges where nobody really gets harmed. It's just good old revenge. Obviously, your neighbor Chester OP lost a lot of money here from the meat. But so did you by him failing to tell you that it was obviously him that, that crashed into your car. So that's fair. That's karma. He deserves it. Simple as that. Let me know as well down below, guys, in the comments when you realized exactly what OP was going to do and how simple it was. So good. Like, how can just doing this as an action, going outside, holding a cup of water, and then putting it back in the freezer cause this amount of damage? I think about that. That is absolutely insane. But yeah, loved it. Let's move on to our next story of nuclear revenge. Drive over a kid's bike, pay the price. Okay, this story took place a very long time ago, in the summer of 1969. I was about 12. I had an early morning paper route in my neighborhood. One of the first things that I bought with my earnings was a brand new 10-speed bike. It was silver with red trim. I was really proud of it, and I took very good care of it. I also used it to deliver my newspapers in the morning. One of my customers was often leaving for work around the time that I got there. I always made a point of parking my bike well off to the side while I went up to deliver his paper. This particular morning, he turned too soon and too sharply while backing out of his driveway and backed right over my bikes, ruining the front sprocket and derailleur. He stuck his head out the window and asked, Is it okay? Not exactly i said well that's what you get for leaving it behind my car then he drove off i walked at home crushed and upset i felt helpless against this adult who clearly had no intention of doing anything about it and i didn't know what to do my hurt frustration and powerlessness gradually turned to anger i stopped delivering his paper and when he complained i told my supervisor that i was delivering but he just liked to complain So ultimately, it wasn't held against me. But the real revenge was yet to come. He lived on the main route through the neighborhood that all the kids took to go to the local 7-Eleven and other places. His mailbox sat on a steel fence post loosely set into the ground. That summer, I got in the habit of pulling it up and throwing it over the fence into the cemetery across the street, maybe once or twice a week. It was fun and mischievous, but it still didn't satisfy my need for revenge. He had three large frond shrubs in his front yard that would grow to six or eight feet over the course of the summer and then begin to die back. They were several feet apart with nothing else close by. One August evening, I threw a lit match into one on my way home from the 7-Eleven. I never heard anything else, but on my route the next morning, it was just a burnt husk in his front yard. Over the next couple of weeks, I did the same to the other two. I was beginning to feel a bit satisfied. But one morning on the way home from delivering papers, I had an inspiration. I saw that the side window of his garage was open. Now, I knew that what I was considering was taking it a bit far, but I was an impulsive kid, and I thought that tit for tat was fair. Back in the day, everybody carried road flares, aka emergency flares, in their cars. So I climbed through the window, found two flares, 
lit them and stuck one right under slash behind each of his rear tires Then I climbed out and hightailed it home and went back to bed I didn't go back to see what happened and I stayed away from the area for several days I knew that i'd ruined his tires. I never saw the result, but I didn't care and I never did another thing to him. Well, my immediate reaction to this story is that perhaps this is a little bit strong, uh, potentially blowing up someone's car. I mean, who knows what actually happened to the, to the tires, if it was just the tires or if it was more. But then this is a guy that took advantage of a kid and pretty much in his head, I imagine was just like, you know what, because you're just a child, I don't really care that I've broken your bike. Just deal with it. But there's no way that he'd have the same reaction if it was an adult and an adult's bike. I just don't believe that. I think he's only said that and done that because you're a kid and probably didn't expect any repercussions. And you showed him that sometimes kids can get better revenge than adults. Phenomenal stuff. Now, you know what's actually amazing about this story is that this happened, what, 54 years ago? So this guy, OP, is now in his 60s, mid-60s, just chilling on Reddit, just writing out this story and saying, you know what, yeah. I'm a fan of this subreddit and I was one of the originators. You know, this revenge is over half a century old. It's so good. I absolutely love it. And uh, yeah, great stuff. A lawyer's pro revenge on a wife beater. Let's call him Joe. I have to call him something. The man I ruined, but I can't call him by his real name. So let's call him Joe. Joe was a wife beater. I was hired by Joe's brother-in-law, the brother of the wife that Joe beats. My client was also Joe's ex-business partner. Aside from the whole you beat up my sister thing, my client had another beef with Joe, a serious business beef. My client took it to court and gave me the case to handle. Joe and his lawyers fought me long and hard. Joe was confident that his BS and outright perjury would carry the day. It had always worked before. His BS and his fists had won him a good settlement with his ex-wife, free of child support, so maybe he thought that threats and lies would carry the day once more. But he was wrong. And after the trial, I had a judgment against him. A big judgment, far bigger than he could pay. Joe twisted and turned and shimmied and shaked, but after a while, I'd located and taken all his assets. It was easy, really. Joe had no thought of consequences, and so he didn't lawyer up until it was too late. If one of my clients ever sues you, you're in trouble, because my clients lawyer up before they even know your name. But Joe didn't lawyer up until the process server threw the papers at his feet and by then it was far too late I went through Joe's assets like a meat grinder and after a while Joe had but one property left a house And he clung to that house for it was rented out and his sole source of income Joe lived in the unfinished basement and he survived on what the upstairs tenants paid him He cashed their rent checks at payday loan places paying hefty fees but it was worth it because he knew that I'd garnish any bank account that he opened. Joe managed to hide his rental place from me for a while because he owned it through a numbered company. But my investigator found him one day and followed him home. Joe self-repped his way through the next stage, which took a couple of years, while I punctured his corporate veils and his sad efforts at a fraudulent conveyance. But in the end, I had his last house, the house where he lived in the unfinished basement. Joe stepped out one day to get a pack of cigarettes and when he came back, the sheriff had changed the locks. Can my client at least live in the basement? Joe's lawyer said to me, pro bono, because by this point, Joe had nothing to pay lawyers. I knew the pro bono guy. He practiced law nearby. As I was talking to him, I could see pro bono's guy's office window across the parking lot from my office tower window. Ask the purchaser, I said. It's out of my hands. And it was. 
I told Joe's lawyer that the new owner, a nominee, one of my client's employees, wouldn't let him back into his trashy basement apartment. Joe, a man who had owned this and that here and there and all over town, had just lost the last thing he owned on earth. Except for his truck. He still had his truck left. Joe's truck was this big gas guzzling beast that he drove around in. It was too old and too frail to be worth seizing, so I let Joe keep it. And I was glad I did that because now the truck was where joe slept until he made a mistake and lost his truck too he lost his truck the day i got a phone call from the tenants at the house that joe used to own he came back and parked his truck across the driveway the tenant said adding that joe had gone nuts he'd parked his truck there in a rage out of spite and then walked into town saying he'd be back later that day to sleep in his truck can you get around the truck i asked the tenant could not the driveway was blocked I called one of the tow truck guys that I used to defend back in my criminal lawyer days. And in a couple of hours, that truck was gone and parked somewhere else. Somewhere special in accordance with my specific instructions. My guy wants his truck back, the pro bono lawyer said the next day when he called me. Not happening, I said. I stood in my office 15 floors above the parking lot and looked down where I imagined my pro bono counterpart was standing in his office, facing the same lots. But you have no right to the truck, he said. Well, he has no right to block a man's driveway, I replied. It was terrible, really. Standing up high, pronouncing words that took away a man's final asset, the last thing he owned on earth. I imagine that this must be what God feels like before he strips a man of everything and sends him to hell. Are you really going to make me go to court over this? Said the pro bono guy. Do what you got to do, I said. And pro bono guy said his client was coming in the next day to sign an affidavit. And then they were going to court to get the truck back. But I was unconcerned. The next day was bright and the sun was shining and it was 9am as I looked out the window and sipped my coffee. My phone rang. I picked up and it was pro bono man. Why didn't you tell me that Joe's truck was parked right outside my office? His voice was tight and I could tell that he must have been shaking with anger. Is that so? I said, staring out at Joe's truck parked 15 stories below me. How careless of my bailiff to leave the truck where your client could easily take it back. I really must speak to him. Very funny. My client's going to sue. No, he isn't. He's going to get in that truck and drive away right now. I told my tow guy to fill up the tank and he gave it an oil change too. Gratis. Tell your client to get in his truck and drive off and that if I ever see that truck again, I'll seize it to satisfy the rest of my client's judgments. Pro bono guy tried to argue, but I was firm. Then I put the phone down and picked up my coffee. A few minutes later, Joe walked out of his lawyer's office and over to his truck. As he walked, I saw that there was no longer a bounce to his step. The joy had gone out of him. Joe wasn't the first guy I ruined and he won't be the last, but he is the only one whose final ruin I witnessed from on high from my office. And it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. Watching a man walk to his truck, knowing that I'd stripped him of everything else he had and that he owed his possession of his last asset, his truck, to my mercy. Joe drove away, his big ancient truck spilling clouds of smoke from the exhaust. I was pretty sure I'd never hear from him again, and I never did. And there we go. That is the end of that one. Now, again, might seem a little bit harsh, kind of like the first story, but with this one, we need to remember, and I was trying to remind myself as I was going through this, Joe is a wife beater. Does it get much worse than that? No. So therefore, of course, this is all 
completely vindicated. Now, to be fair, this does kind of read a little bit like fiction, but I'm just looking back through OP's posts just on his Reddit account. And it is all lawyer stuff. So I do believe that OP is an actual lawyer. Maybe they're just good at writing as well and, and came up with this. Thought it was brilliant. Well, well written for sure. If I must admit, it did read a little bit like a story rather than an account of events, but yeah. Great stuff. Let me know down below what you thought. Never mess with my family. My dad told me this story today over lunch and it seemed completely appropriate with this subreddit. There are two things to know before I tell this story. These events took place in the 1970s in a third world country where justice is obtained with one's own hand and family, for better or worse, is unconditional. My maternal family on my grandmother's side is known in her town for having outbursts of anger the kind that blurs vision and turns everything red and a strong temper. No one in my family embodied these qualities more infamously than my great-grandmother, Mamadelia. Mamadelia was an implacable woman, violent with her words and her fists as well. With Mamadelia, my grandmother, her siblings, and later my father's generation making a mistake, no matter how small, was a death sentence. Mamadelia was married to my great-grandfather, a magistrate of the Supreme Court of Justice of my country, and according to my father, a good man and highly respected by all. But the moment that he walked through the door of the house, his authority ended and my great-grandmother's tyrannical rule began. Nothing was done or undone without her will, and as you can imagine, my grandmother and her siblings resented her greatly. Mamadelia has been dead for 40 years now, but stories of her are still told at all family gatherings. They also say that everyone in my family, my grandmother, who if you knew her, you would say I'm lying, she is a sweetheart, and her children inherited her choleric gene that comes out from time to time in an explosive and memorable way. My great-grandparents had four sons, but only one is relevant in this story. Jose, not his real name. Now, Jose was the second and most rebellious of them all. The one who could not stand Mamadelia's mistreatment, and he let her know it all the time. He was the only one who stood up to her, and consequently the one who suffered the most. It was when Jose turned 15 that he decided never again to let himself be mistreated or abused by her. And of course, Mamadelia had something to say about it. I don't know exactly the details, but something my uncle did upset her deeply. Years before, Mamadelia would have responded with leashes and screaming. But since my uncle was already 15, he was taller and stronger than his mother. So she had to resort to an alternative tactic. She decided to call a policeman to the house. And what was her instructions to the policeman? To give my uncle the beating of his life. That was the last day my great uncle lived at his parents' house. But where I come from, family is the most important thing impossible to escape four years later my great-grandparents had moved to their new house in another part of town next to them lived the cordobas the parents were normal people but their son reuben was another story reuben was about 25 years old he didn't study nor did he work or help with household chores i don't know this for a fact but i can imagine it reuben spent all his time and energy on just two things growing his muscle mass until he looked like an Andean Arnold Schwarzenegger and insulting my grandparents every time he saw them walking down the streets. My dad couldn't tell me why. Maybe Ruben was just like that or maybe Mamadelia said or did something to him at some point. I wouldn't be surprised either. 
What he did tell me was that Ruben's aggressiveness towards my great-grandparents was so extreme that he wouldn't even let them walk on his side of the sidewalk, claiming that it was his. My great-grandparents never did anything about it. My great-grandfather had his first child at 46 and my grandmother at 36, so they were already old by then, and for some mysterious reason, they never told anyone what was going on with Ruben either. This is where Jose comes in again. His relationship with his mother was strained and conflicted, which didn't stop him from visiting them every so often to see his father and his three siblings. That day, my great-grandparents were returning home, and of course, Ruben's shouts, insults, and obscene rudeness were there to accompany them as they opened the door to their house. What he didn't count on was that Jose was arriving at the same moment and heard everything. The world went first black and then red. Like a worthy son of Mamadelia, Jose exploded. He lunged at Ruben three times, all three times with a blow to the face. Ruben knocked him effortlessly to the ground. Faced with such a beast, anyone else would have abandoned the fight, but Jose did not. He was used to the pain, the blood and the bruises that remained weeks later. Jose had lost his fear of confrontation years ago. Jose stood up one last time under Ruben's insults and taunts and charged him. I don't know how he did it. Perhaps Ruben had let his guard down but he managed to land a kick on his opponent's shin. Ruben did not fall to the ground completely, but he was destabilized. Ruben didn't know it, but at this point, he'd already lost. My great uncle climbed on his back as if riding a mad bull at a fair, grabbed him by the head and slammed him repeatedly against the pavement. The smashed face, the teeth scattered on the ground and the torrent of blood were not enough for Jose. What he did next was to grab Ruben by the hair and drag him up and down the street twice until my older great uncle stopped him. The story ends with Ruben in the hospital, his face unrecognizable and deformed, and my uncle disappearing for a week to avoid any kind of retaliation. Never again did my great grandparents have problems with Ruben, although Jose's relationship with Mamadelia never improved despite what happened. Wow, there we go. I don't even know, to be honest, guys, what to even make of that. I definitely do not think that what Ruben did warranted this level of revenge. Just because you come from a family of seemingly psychos, I'm not going to lie. I mean, Mama Delia seems crazy. Jose seems even crazier. Doesn't mean that someone just being rude to your parents or your grandparents means you then curb stomp them and almost kill them. Seems a little bit severe to me let me know in the comments if you think i'm wrong on this one but yeah it's definitely nuclear i'm just not sure if it's revenge because why why did you need to do this i thought throughout the whole thing to be honest that the revenge was going to be towards mamadelia not some random guy that really wasn't involved in this story at all but there we go that definitely surprised me if anything the more i think about it it's more just this whole family is kind of messed up don't want to be rude but I've seen this less as a typical nuclear revenge story and more, oh my God, this family has a series of really serious issues um, and probably need to be put in prison. What is going on? I mean, I'm not really surprised. If you're brought up with Mama Delia at the head of your, your family, you're going to be living with some trauma and that is obviously going to affect you. I mean, look at Jose now. I can't say I'm shocked by his reaction there. Wow. Again, comment down below. Do you think I'm kind of being too lenient there or do you agree with me? Weird one to start. 
but let's carry on a lawyer's pro revenge on his boss this opinion is trash my boss told me he'd been a lawyer for three years and the firm assigned me to him for training to show me junior counsel how to be a litigator I disliked my boss for a number of reasons. He knew no law and he expressed himself badly in writing. For a litigator, that's like strike one and two right there. And strike three was this. He had no balls. He was actually scared of going to court. I noticed this when he took me to assignment court one day. And when it was his turn to speak, his hands were shaking. He was scared in freaking assignment court where all you do is set a trial date. What's wrong with what I wrote? I said. Not what I asked for, he said, turning away. But when I checked the memo he'd emailed me two weeks earlier, I saw that the opinion I wrote was exactly what he asked for. I knew what was up. He was going to delete my dockets for writing the memo and then claim he did it himself, thus leaving me quite a bit short of my docketing quota for the month. I knew that he'd do this to me, because he'd done this before. I knew that my memo would wind up on a partner's desk without my name on it. I knew that for a fact because the firm I worked at was one of the first in the city to have a really good internal network. We were using email for internal communications before the internet became a thing. So the firm was way ahead in terms of technology, but not in terms of security. And not long after I joined the firm, I learned how to surf away on the firm's hard drive and find interesting things, like evidence that my boss was plagiarizing my work. My boss was the very model of the young downtown lawyer. His perfect shoes always gleamed. He wore bespoke suits because he came from money. Everyone just took it for granted that he was on the partner track. I, on the other hand, was well on my way to nowhere special, so maybe he thought it was okay to screw with me. If so, that was a big mistake on his part. I didn't like having my billable hours screwed with. I seriously resented it because I was already being targeted as one of the juniors who doesn't docker as much as he should and I was getting pushback from the partner who headed our team. I told the partner what was going on, but he didn't care. It was like being back in middle school and showing up in the office with bruises on my face and the principal saying, boys will be boys and sending me on my way. You'll just have to work harder or smarter, the partner said when I reported the latest BS thing my boss did to me. I couldn't work harder. I was doing the usual six days a week lawyers downtown are forced to do, but I could work smarter. And that night, I thought up a plan. Christmas was coming and I thought I'd give my boss a little present. It landed on his desk on December 24th in the form of a memo purporting to be from the partner that my boss reported to. The partner was an old guy and not really on board with emails and computers, so he did everything old school, on paper. So when my boss came in on December 24th and saw a memo on his desk from the partner with a legal research assignment, that wasn't unusual. The memo was drafted in the usual form that the partner used, because of course I'd taken great pains to make sure that it looked authentic. My boss walked over to the little cubicles where the juniors worked and gave me the same memo, except his secretary had retyped it. So now the assignment was from him to me instead of from the partner to my boss. The assignment was difficult, requiring me to do a deep dive into admiralty law, its relationship to the common law, combined with a constitutional division of powers question. But this is a huge assignment, I whined, and I'm gonna be away. Can't you get someone else to do it? Is it really urgent? The memo I'd forged to my boss stressed how totally urgent the situation was, but there was no way my boss could double check with the partner, 
because the partner left the day before on vacation. That is why I'd waited until December 24th. No can do, my boss said. This is a big deal. Just let HR know. Maybe they'll give you time and a half or something. He turned his back and walked away, thinking he'd ruined my holidays. But he was mistaken. You see, I'd written a paper for a third year course that was basically the same thing as the research assignment in the memo. So the only work I had to do was to find the old floppy disk with the draft on it, fiddle with it a bit, and voila, a very detailed and very long memo on an obscure point of admiralty law with references starting back to Lord Coke's day. So I put the memo together and took my holidays as planned. I wasn't traveling anywhere because I had no money, but I saw my family and stayed in town and I made a point of dropping by the office during the holidays. I sent an email or two establishing that I was around and I docketed all my time for the huge amount of research I was allegedly doing. So the holidays end and I'm sitting in my trashy little cubicle with a huge stack of work to do and my boss comes up to me in one of his bespoke suits with a gold tie pin and cufflinks to match. He was wearing a gold watch too. He was dressed up, even for him, trying to make an impression of some kind. Where's that memo? You were supposed to have it on my desk when I got back. I'm going into a meeting at noon. I just finished it this morning, I said, handing him the lengthy memo that was still warm from the printer. My boss took the memo in his hands and felt its heft and he smiled. Then he turned and walked away without a word. Just before lunch, I heard a commotion down the hall. It was a pretty loud commotion, as such things go. A loud F and then a door was flung open. It was the partner and he was screaming for my boss to get his butt into his office now, right now, as in immediately. I had the pleasure of watching my boss scramble down the hall. Just what the freaking frick is this? The partner said, standing in the doorway to his office and holding my handiwork at arm's length with his thumb and index finger as if he were afraid that handling it would soil him. My boss mumbled something and then the partner ushered him inside. I heard more shouting, then the sound of muffled excuses, and then more shouting from the partner. Then the door flung open again. OP, get your butt in here too, the partner said, and I got my butt in there pronto. Did you write this fricky memo, the partner said. I took it from him and looked it over. I wrote it. The cover page has been changed to remove my name, but other than that, it's mine. I spent all Christmas on it, Is there something wrong with it? The partner exploded. Is there something wrong with it? Something wrong? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's freaking useless. Totally useless. I explained that I'd followed my boss's instructions to the letter and that I'd docketed more than 100 hours on it. At this, the partner really went nuts and told me to go back to my desk and fetch him the memo from my boss. I brought it to him and when he read it, His face went red. He told me I could leave and I hauled butt out of there. From my little cubicle, I wasn't close enough to hear the full chewing out my boss got, but I heard the details through the grapevine over the next few days about how the partners were seriously angry that my boss had wasted over a hundred hours of a junior's time on a useless task that was obviously a prank. And how had my boss not realized that he was being pranked? Was he an idiot? I wasn't blamed at all, of course. I'd been working under my boss's close supervision. My boss didn't get fired, but there were some good outcomes for me. For one thing, the partner told me to send him a copy of any memos I wrote for my boss, and that ended him taking credit for my work. 
My boss also stopped deleting my dockets for my research. Plus, I got a belated Christmas bonus for having to give up on my alleged vacation to write the stupid memo. I really hated working in that place, but whenever times were tough, I'd think back to the case of the forged memo and that always brought a smile to my face. Okay, there we go. That is more like it, some more normal revenge. Now, obviously that story was from r slash pro revenge, not from nuclear revenge, but nonetheless, that was a more your, your typical sort of revenge. To be honest, I think what happened there was very warranted. Good justice, fantastic revenge, very well worked, and congratulations to OP for, for doing something really, really simple that had an amazing effect. Well done. Again, just thinking back to the first story, very different this time. But uh, there we go. If there's one thing I learned from this is that lawyers prank each other by leaving forged to-do lists on each other's desks. I mean, come on. Like the fact of the matter is that, that the partner has said, oh, come on, it was so obvious you were being pranked. Therefore, maybe this sort of thing has happened before for him to say that, right? If you get what I'm saying. I don't know. I feel like in, an, in a law firm that the levels of pranks and jokes and just intellect is at such a high kind of, you know, mark that who knows what would go on if i walked in there i don't know what would happen to me i would be chewed up spat out and probably bent over today i effed up by being a jerk on the internet and causing a stranger to get divorced i'm cross posting this from the subreddit today i effed up I'm really not a mean person and I genuinely felt terrible for destroying a marriage But the lovely users over there thought I should post here though I didn't mean for the revenge to go to this level by any means I don't even know if I meant for revenge at all, but here we are So I a 42 year old woman effed up big time two weeks ago on a random thursday morning at like 1 a.m Someone started shooting off fireworks in my neighborhood I've been having bouts of insomnia and was finally able to get to sleep and I had to wake up at 4 a.m For a meeting two hours away that I had to be at for 8 a.m I was fuming and so were my dogs. I love fireworks, but I think there's a time and a place Thursday morning at 1 a.m is not it i posted to the neighborhood facebook group a few hours later during a coffee break about people that set off fireworks at 1 a.m midweek after i make the long drive home i check my facebook some guy comments that i can't sleep because i'm a fat pig now i'm chubby but not sloppy fat plus i just lost the equivalent of a fully grown male wombat or 54 north american gray squirrels so i feel freaking awesome about myself now this is where i may have really effed up i respond to the guy who was maybe mid to late 30s or very early 40s about the same age group as me i write in a comment beneath his listen guy's name i'm sorry i had to end things but i just didn't have the same feelings what you're saying now is just hurtful and mean Please stop sending me messages and commenting on my Facebook posts. It's just a pathetic way to contact me. I told you a dozen times already. We are done. It's over. The following day, I had to get to the airport for an out-of-country vacation that had me getting up early and leaving early as heck. So I don't check my Facebook during all the craziness. Also because I'm only on it sparingly. I don't live on my phone and when I am, I'm usually on Reddit or TikTok versus Facebook. I couldn't check my Facebook even if I wanted to. I was on a cruise and I'm not paying $25 a day for internet and the country we visited didn't really have the greatest Wi-Fi. Besides, I was having a blast leaving the chaos of the world behind. I signed back in on Monday night and frick. Apparently, people took my message seriously and they told his wife. She was freaking out at me. 
pleading for information she sent me messages her and his friends were dming me he was dming me it was bad the last message was the guy saying i'm a total c-word because i refuse to tell the truth and i just destroyed his life i immediately messaged both him and his wife explaining what happened i sent pics of me on vacation even timestamps apparently he is a serial cheater and when i exposed our affair another woman exposed her affair with the husband to the wife because she was jealous that he had yet another side chick this was the straw that broke the camel's back because not only are there multiple affairs but because he humiliated her with how public this was especially me putting this in a facebook neighborhood group so there is my accidental pro revenge well there we go what a story to kick things off i've got to say although it was accidental was it justified 100 percent, yes in my opinion like this guy is an absolute disgrace i'm sorry not only because of his just online abuse i mean why is he calling you a fat pig on facebook just ridiculous but also because he is a serial cheater anyway so although you probably didn't realize that when you said these things ultimately is it a bad thing that you kind of expose his cheating i would say no and if people realize that he is a cheater because of what you said it doesn't matter if you're lying you got to the truth like realistically this probably would have ended in divorce this relationship down the line at some point it just seems pretty obvious that that was kind of a guarantee so in doing this in exposing this man doesn't matter if it was accidental or not you are saving first of all the woman that he is with a lot of years probably of, of wasted time and then also the person that he's having an affair with anyway a lot of time because maybe she didn't know maybe she did know anyway and there's also a terrible person it's less about her i'd say and more about his wife saving her a lot of years because at least now she knows what's going on and can move on wow accidentally causing a divorce fair play now moving on to our second story of revenge boss from hell gets what she deserves i am a woman in my 30s and i've been a people pleaser to a fault my whole life i've been working in marketing for over 10 years and over the years i've had my fair share of bosses who were good average and some who sucked there is one in particular that stood out as awful this story is from about five years ago pamela in her 40s not her real name was the vp of marketing and sales for a mid-sized retailer she started at the company a few years after i did and if rumors were true she was the fourth pick for the position and was simply hired so the company could appease shareholders i was a manager under her and my whole job was to make sure the website and stores had their products merchandised properly received all their monthly sales materials managed advertising set up and managed the department's budget pm'd all department projects and operations created reporting through reflect sales managed presentations slash creative briefs for future projects etc in short i did her work and all the administrative grunt work to keep the department afloat i managed all of this because i had access to her email and many times sent emails on her behalf to keep the department functioning pamela spent most of her time showing up after 10 a.m taking business lunches and planning company parties i don't even know why we did those but i planned those too I consistently questioned why she spent so much of our budget on these events when we didn't have the budget resources for any of it. Pamela told me to take from future months budgets to pay for the current months overspending. So at the start of every month, I had an original budget and by the end of the month, I had to turn in an edited budget, edited under Pamela's direction that made it look like Pamela's spending was under control. This is important for later. 
I definitely made mistakes here and there, being in charge of so many tasks and constantly found myself working 12 hour days, split between being in the office and working after my kid went to bed. Weekend work was also done before my family woke up and then after they went to bed, my word. During Pamela's first major holiday season, sales were awful. Pamela kept changing her mind on the visuals for the stores, kept bringing on new advertising and PR agencies to bring in sales. All these agencies consisted of her personal friends and ignored our buying and merchandise team's planned promotions for her own better ones. At this time, I'd been dealing with an ongoing infection that turned to sepsis and was hospitalized. The doctors and my husband said it was due to the stress of work and that I needed to take a break. As I recovered, I realized how much I was hurting myself, my family, and even the company I work for. Eventually, my old habits got to me and I got on my phone and checked mine and my boss's emails. What I found made my blood boil. First, I got a lovely bouquet of flowers from upper management wishing me well. And I knew that Pamela organized the delivery. She sent me her favorite flowers. I went to her inbox to put the receipt in the correct folder to send to accounting when I got back. And at the top of her inbox from the past three days were emails clearly not related to business. What I found in her emails was Pamela emailing her personal friends, grabbing about how I can't just shake off sepsis and get back to work. She also complained that she couldn't find any of my notes, spreadsheets, or documents for any of the work she was technically in charge of. They were on our share drive labeled very clearly. Finally, I found an email she sent a friend from a previous company asking for advice on how to bring in sales and save her job. In this long thread, this old colleague asked if there was anyone managing most of the work. And of course, Pamela said I was. This colleague explained that clearly it was my mismanagement that was causing issues and that I could be blamed if sales didn't pull through by the end of the season. Pamela mentioned that I was in hospital and repeated comments from her other email thread. This person said that she couldn't outright fire me because it could seem like retaliation as I needed to take emergency medical leave. But if Pamela could prove I was stealing from the company or misusing company resources, then she would have grounds to have me fired and then use me as a scapegoat. Upon my return, Pamela called me into her office and said she was worried I was taking on too much and wanted to take work off my plate. She announced that she was taking managing the department budget off my plate. She asked me to only drop off a small stack of invoices to accounting. Additionally, Pamela told me that under no circumstances was I allowed to talk to accounting about anything regarding budgets. Also, if I had any concerns about the department or workload, I wasn't allowed to go to HR. I had to discuss it directly with her. Oh, yeah, I could see where this was going. Unfortunately for Pamela, I had built a rapport with Lois, who was our main accountant. Lois always said that she would do everything in her power to help me, should I ask. Knowing this, I grabbed the stack of invoices off Pamela's desk to give to accounting. I also added the email threads that I read while I was in the hospital and the current unedited budget that Pamela hadn't touched yet for the month. I also found in my filing cabinet the hard copies of old budgets with Pamela's handwriting on what numbers to change to balance our budget. Finally, I added an email from our first round of budget adjustments where Pamela subtly threatened to put someone else in my job if I couldn't do what she asked. So I walked and dropped off the invoices to accounting when I bumped into Lois. 
She brought up invoices and I sternly looked at her and said, Pamela is the only one in our department that Lois is allowed to talk to about our budget and invoices. Lois saw the suspiciously thick file folder on her desk, gave a firm nod and lovingly kicked me out of her office. Within the week, Pamela was fired. From what I understand, she's been continually job hopping for the past few years. The CEO and HR brought me in to personally apologize for everything I went through and gave me a paid one week vacation to take at my discretion. Given other issues with this business, I left after another year. Which brings me to today. I am once again a manager for sales and marketing. I have a wonderful boss, Mike, who trusts my business decisions and backs me up on practically everything. We're hiring for my team for me to solely manage and direct. Today, I looked through the applicants and found Pamela's resume sitting among dozens of others. I stared at her name, wondering how many other people share her name. Upon review, yep, it's her. She definitely fell down the corporate ladder with VP of our old company being the highest title she earned. And to no surprise, she embellished her achievements, claiming the work that I managed as her own and claimed that she generated an 87% sales growth during the holiday season at our previous company. As a people pleaser who firmly believes in giving everyone a chance, it has never been so satisfying to click disqualified. One thing that I will mention that maybe a lot of you are thinking right now is, wouldn't it have been better from OP's perspective, I guess more rewarding to have her walk into the interview room and you OP just be there? sat across the table knowing full well this is the same pamela and just seeing her reaction knowing in that one moment that she is never ever going to get that job and is completely wasting her time however i will put up on screen right now what op replied to that to those suggesting that i interview her to see her reaction i would have loved to see her face as she walked in but i felt it would have risked my boss's trust in my decision making ability i understand that i do understand that because yeah you don't want to kind of sacrifice or risk your own job while messing with pamela as much as i'm sure you want to however couldn't you have just done the interview anyway and then just secretly said no i don't really like her although again yeah thinking about it you do risk pamela saying i know you you know it, it could potentially put your job in jeopardy one last thing that op did say though is maybe i'll send a personally written rejection email that you definitely have to do it's it's without a doubt you just have to do it get it done now for our final story of revenge in this episode i left behind a dead man switch in the company workflow when i sensed i was about to be bullied into quitting i started working in logistics at a company that builds things that was just as covid was starting actually When I started, we were five people in the team, but one of the guys quit soon after. This is important because it was a very good insight into how my department operates when they don't need or want a certain someone around. They won't outright fire you since then they have to pay you severance, but instead they will bully you into quitting. I saw pretty much the whole package, excluding them from meetings and important events, putting them down in public, lecturing them, never noticing good work, but always making sure that everybody knows about work that is poorly done. Drowning someone in work and then berating them when they inevitably can't keep up. It was outright childish at times. I didn't register it at the time, but it was a really valuable lesson for later. I was put in charge of managing our overseas suppliers, among other things. About half of our material came from overseas, most of that from China. While it seems like a big task for someone new, it wasn't done out of malice. Genuinely, everyone believed we were going to get a guy in China for the Chinese supplies, then I'd be left with a handful of others. It seemed fair. But we never got that guy for China. 
and I was left with all overseas suppliers. Another important thing is that just in this project, the company had decided to change the workflow for overseas suppliers. This is because due to COVID, the price of shipping containers had exploded. To explain it as simply as possible, Previously, the suppliers were responsible for filling our containers and bringing them to the harbor. We were responsible for picking them up from the harbor and bringing them to us. However, due to demand and many other things, sometimes we just needed two or three pallets of parts where a dozen or more could fit inside a container. So we were shipping a lot of air. The new workflow would have the suppliers bring the parts to an external warehouse, one in the US, one in China. Then we would load them into containers to get the containers as full as possible and then bring them to the harbor and then into our plants this way we needed to rent far fewer containers this complicated things because it erased the direct contact from us to the suppliers and there was no official method of how we were going to keep in contact with suppliers telling them how many parts we need how to package them if there were any changes requested etc during that time i was left mostly alone to deal with it and i set up a system with excel it was mostly manual, rather simple, but it worked well. It worked so well that one of the suits even chatted with me about it for a bit, since he wanted to make it a standard in future projects. And also, this is very important. I was the only person who actually knew all our overseas suppliers and their contacts. Some of you might be able to tell where this story is going already. So during that entire time, nobody had actually bothered to ask me to explain to them how my system worked and where I kept track of all the supplier contacts. All of this data was hidden on like slide 800 of some Excel file that I'd saved in a folder titled parts pictures, which was otherwise filled with pictures of parts. Now moving forward, as COVID began to die down, the department for whatever reason decided they didn't need me anymore. I have theories, but nothing certain, so I'll just leave it at that. I pretty much saw precisely the same thing go down as I'd seen with that one guy who had left shortly after I started. All the bullying. I thought to myself at first that if I pull through and keep doing a good job, and I believe I did a good job, they'd eventually cool down. But they didn't. After two months of that, I said screw it and decided to just sit out and endure until the Christmas bonus we get every year and then hand in my notice. And also, I just delayed teaching anyone how my system worked until I was gone. And that is pretty much how it happened. So for my own future employment, I actually lucked out. One of the local suppliers I was managing had a really chill guy as managing director. I gave him a call, explained that I was about to be unemployed, and I asked if they needed staff. He then called me into an interview. We talked about anime for an hour, while his HR lady looked confused about what a attack on Titan was. And he told me I can come in the moment I'm done with my then or current job. So back on topic, a month into working at my new job, I got a call from my old job, the department manager. To his credit, he was always a reasonable guy. He told me in plain words that they have no idea where the frick to even start with the Chinese suppliers. He then offered me my old job back with a very respectable pay increase. I explained that I already had a new job though. Two days later, I got another call where the same manager offered me many times my monthly salary just to come in for one week and instruct my old team in how my process functioned, introduce them to all the contacts, etc. I told him I refused because of the way I'd been treated by them when I worked there. He said that he understood and wished me luck at my new job and hung up. The reason I'm writing this story now? Well, this week, I randomly got in touch with some of the people in the transport department from my old job. 
they mentioned that in the now 10 months since I left, the logistics department racked up eight figure losses due to wrong deliveries, over and under deliveries, outdated parts, some suppliers canceling their contracts, and new suppliers needing to be sourced, etc. And all the blame for that fell on my old team. My new job is fine. It's not the best job, but I get to travel a lot and get nice bonuses for it. My boss isn't around much since he's married. I do sometimes regret not taking that offer for a week as an instructor. Yeah, you see that right there is how you know how we can all have it completely and utterly confirmed that OP was so badly treated. When you're offered a fee, a one-off fee for one week of work that is like, I don't know how many times a monthly salary or your monthly salary that you used to have there and you still don't take it, that just shows how badly you must have been treated to say, you know what, I don't even care about any money at this point. I refuse to help out my ex-company in any way, shape or form, even if it's for millions and millions of dollars. I mean, yeah, probably now you're looking back and thinking, oh, I could have done with that money. It was quite a lot for just a week of work, telling people things that I already knew, but you know what, principle is principle. And honestly, I kind of rate it. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm, I'm not sure I could have done the same if I was offered that much money just to do something that was that simple. Even if I hated everything about a company, oh, I'd be tempted. But yeah, honestly, once again, I have to say fair play to you for not doing it. And good revenge. You didn't even really do anything necessarily. You just refused to take loads of money and ended up costing them eight figures. I mean, that is insane. That could be $99 million. Who knows? Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.